going. Excessive drinking can be detrimental. Yeah, I hope uh, the new year has started well for you, wherever it is you may be. Uh, let me extend new year wishes. Although we are, what, a few days into the new year, but it is still a new year, 15 days into January. But I do wish everybody a happy new year, whatever endeavor that you're engaged in. Um, may it succeed, may it go on. Uh, may you find strength. And uh, let me even start by thanking you already for tuning in. Uh, you spent last year with us. We hope that you spent 2022 with us. It's a new day. Uh, I know most of you are still reeling from the Black Stars performance from yesterday. Uh, a 1 1 draw with Gabon has left a sour taste in the mouths of many a football fan. Um, many asking questions is qualification in limbo? We'll try and address that for just five or ten minutes. Uh, but on the two big issues for the day, we'll be looking at education, the state of education. There are those who say education is in crisis. There are those who say it is not. It's on the threshold of greatness. Uh, we will try and break that down. Uh, on, the, on the show this morning, I have a full panel for that. And then on this, in the second part, 2022 promises to be a very intense year for the new patriotic party some have said this could be the most important year since the party was formed uh, as it goes through uh, elections at various levels that will culminate in the selection of a flag bearer for the 2024 election uh, 15 days into the month already and uh, there's intense haggling across all platforms media social media wherever you go baumia alan this that what really is the situation we'll try and get an early start on what is happening within the npp uh in the second part of the show so do stay tuned in i promise it's going to be loaded it's going to be fantastic just like the rest of 2022 because you'll be right back <laughs> Issue and as always, you know, it's an interactive show, so you can reach us out. Our WhatsApp lines are uh, we have two zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six and zero five five zero five eight five eight three two zero five five zero five eight five eight three two. If you prefer Twitter, you can reach me on my own Twitter handle at East Sportsman. Hashtag is the big issue. Hashtag the big issue. And uh, send your comments also on at City973, at City973. With the same hashtag, the big issue. We will share your comments, uh, read it. Uh, streaming live on Facebook as well on City TV Ghana and City973, all on Facebook. You can leave your comments there. And if you miss out, don't worry, just go on our YouTube channel, CityTube, C I T I T U B E. Subscribe. Click on the subscribe button, very important. And then you can find us and uh, play back, uh, share, download, whatever it is you want to do with the video. We are happy to accommodate you. Uh, so the full uh, package is available. But uh, to come in studio, first of all, uh, I want to talk football, even though it's not on the agenda uh, for today, but maybe just for five minutes. I'm not doing this with my guests. I'm doing this alone. They are not allowed to discuss football. They'll discuss education and then they'll discuss the MPP. <laughs> Although I'm sure a few of them are football fans. Uh, but yesterday, the Black Stars of Ghana uh, 
played their second game of the African Cup of Nations, uh, drew 1-1 with uh, a very good Gabon side, uh, leaves Ghana in third place in their group with one point, led by Morocco who have six, and uh, Gabon who are in fourth place. And most of you are asking questions, is, is this what we spent all that money for? Well, I, I just want to say that we are paying the price for the search for instant gratification instead of substantive gratification. Um, there's a lot of work to be done if the national team is to get back to where it used to be, where everybody was proud of the national team. And the pride that followed that national team did not emanate out of somebody waking up one day and saying, I'm going to spend $25 million on a national team. Go and win me an AFCON, go and win me a World Cup. It was born out of 10 years of hard work. And the outcome of that 10-year investment was a national team that was strong for another 10 years. They might not have won anything, but they put Ghana on the map. And they are the reason why most of us are feeling disappointed this morning because they felt Ghana is better than what they watched yesterday. Ghana is better than what they have seen so far. The national team will become better when we start dealing with merit on who plays for the national team. The national team will become better when we figure out that everybody has a role to play. The state has a role to play. The regulator, the Ghana Football Association, has a role to play. We, the fans, have roles to play. The percentages of the roles might differ, but everybody eventually meets up to make 100%, and that is what pushes the national team to be able to get us the kind of results that leave us waking, us, waking up happy and not disappointed like we are this morning. The state's responsibility is to make sure that facilities are available. The state's responsibility is to understand that what phase sports is in at any point in time. So on this particular topic, we are dealing football. So it is the state's responsibility to understand at what state we are in, what stage of development is our game in, where do we spend the most money. I have seen facilities being built around the country. National Youth Centers are supposed to be built. They are still incomplete. We've done the hybrid AstroTurf project, none of which are standard. But we've seen very little investment in coaching. Who coaches the athletes? We've seen very little investment in centers of excellence that are state-owned. These are never things that are done by private persons. These are never things that are done by the regulator. These are responsibilities of the state. And it is from there that the excellence builds. All these things have been neglected for one-off statements and shows of grandeur to say that, okay, I believe this team is good enough. Nobody who has watched the Blasters over the past three years will wake up and say, if you give this Black Stars a hundred million dollars, they will win you the World Cup in an Afghan. You can give them a billion dollars. It is not going to happen because they are simply not good enough. And simply knowing that current state would lead you to that conclusion and not make those kind of projections and make those kind of investments or seek to make those kind of investments. Those investments are misplaced. Those investments are better served going to the clubs who grow the footballers. There's a huge deficit between 
the quality that is available here and the quality that is available there. We need to close that gap. How does that happen? Private individuals have run football for a very long time. But at every country where football has grown, the state has been vested. There cannot be a significant gap between the state's interest at the grassroots level, at the club level, and then suddenly at the national team level, the state shows up and says, well, this is my property, so this is what I want us to do. The state simply has no idea on what has gone on at the developmental stage and at the club stage to get a football player that perhaps is good enough to give you the result that you want. That will not leave you waking up with a sour taste in your mouth. The regulator as well. Be fair. Be fair. Pick people on merit. Pick people who look forward. Pick people who share the vision. The lack of merit has cost the national team. We saw that yesterday. Of a team of 28, it looks like the coach has basically trust in about 15 of 28. To win an AFCON, that is not good enough. The gap in quality between 11 and the rest is quite significant. That is affecting the team's output. That is on the regulator. The regulator brings the coach. So that is on you. That is something you cannot run away from. The elements of self-interest must end. The focus must be on who do we call that gives us the best chance of winning? Not who do we call that gives us the best chance of lining our pockets? If that does not change, the national team's success will not change. It will remain where it is. We are counting 40 years. We will do in 50 years. We will do in 60 years. Everybody will get past us. The results are already there to see. The countries that have decided to spend from the basic level, grassroots level. Yes, they might not win the World Cup. They might not win the AFCON. But we see the fruits of their labor elsewhere. They are the countries who invite us to come and play friendlies on their turfs. It was interesting being in Morocco a while back where the FA president met uh, the king and was asked, what do you want from us? He said, we have 172 pitches. I want 400 more. Is that a question we can ask in this country? How many pitches do we have? I always make the example from Kaswa to, the, to Usu. There are almost 200 football clubs. Standard football pitches between that link. Three, Liberty Car Randolph Park, Elwak Sports Stadium, Accra Sports Stadium. In fact, Elwak has been removed from the list. That is why Legon Cities no longer use it. So from Kaswa to Accra Sports Stadium, there are only two football pitches that are standard for a country that claims to love football. The Bonoafu region has the most Division I clubs in the country, produces more footballers per capita than any other region in the country. We are told they are going to get a new stadium. For how long? We don't know. Coronation Park, if it can even be called that. That is not how you win laurels. So until we all come together and figure out and do the right things, a sour taste is what we will get. Don't be too disappointed. It's not over. Ghana could qualify in third place. They say mathematics, whatever. But you go into a tournament and the permutations are there. You simply follow them. Now they say Ghana needs to beat Comoros. Let's hope we can beat Comoros. It does not look like an easy task. But post that, there is a lot of work to be done. Let us not ignore it. 
we like to paper things over once there's a certain element of success. So Ghana could beat Comoros, beat somebody and make it to the semifinals, and suddenly we think the problems have disappeared. They have not. Don't forget, there's another target. Qualify for the World Cup semifinals. Only God knows where that particular objective will be realized. But it is still there. So, good morning uh, to the Blasters, wherever they may be. We wish them well. I hope your disappointment does not last. Let's come in studio and discuss education. Um, there's a lot of things in the educational sector. So, uh, we now have a transitional academic timetable that has been put out by the Canada Education Service, which will see public second cycle schools reopen from February 7, while basic schools will resume on January 18. Now, there's a bit of confusion, and I will, we will get clarity on this. There are those who say there's a phasing out of the double track system. There are those who say that is not what it is. We will try and get an explanation on what is currently happening. But there also seems to be a lot of dissatisfaction with just the general structure and growth of education in the country. There was a lot of enthusiasm uh, with what was going to happen. Quite a few people have been left disheartened or disappointed. Is it too soon? Is the agenda on track with education? We will try and delve into that. And to help me do that, I've... I managed to get here the PRO of the Ministry of Education, Chrissy Cranting. Always a pleasure. He's very available. So, uh, Chrissy, good morning. Happy New Year. Yeah, good morning, girlfriend. Happy returns. How are you? I am well. And uh, as always, you are, I, I like Chrissy because Chrissy doesn't check his responsibilities. When he has to speak, he speaks. Thank you. You know, so I, I, for a public official, that is essential. So I must give credit where it is due. No matter how difficult the conversation, when you call Chrissy, Chrissy will show. Executive Director of African Education Watch has come out of his farm for the first time in 2022. Good to see you. Uh, as well, we'll be joined by Dr. Clement Abbas Apak, Busa South MP. He's also been concerned about the state of Cheshire education before he became a parliamentarian. He was a lecturer, uh, I think, in archaeology at the University of Ghana. So he's had quite a bit to say. Dr. Park, are you with us? Okay, so we'll try and get Dr. Park and then Franklin Kujo, part of Imani Afro, also start the PC. You see, private schools start when started what, uh, two weeks ago. Public schools did not go with them. We were told there was a new calendar being worked out. And then the calendar came out and we are told that uh went to school has there difficulty in aligning the calendar in the first place it depends on on, on aligning with the private schools because as far as you are concerned this is not the first time uh, private schools are opening ahead of public schools but i mean that is not the case i think the 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 girlfriend the most important thing of course i mean the trust of the conversation is that level of the ministry we do admit the, the, the general dissatisfaction, I mean, relative to the academic calendar, especially how it's being communicated from the level of the ministry. And uh, of course, as soon as you make some uh, admission, then it calls for uh, responsibility or somebody to take leadership. But you will recall uh, that uh, post-COVID, I mean, to the whole of 2020, essentially there was no academic activities. And uh, for that matter, the ministry had to align uh, most of our academic activities so that we'll be able to, I mean, compensate for what we've lost in the uh, previous year. Mm -hmm. 
And so, for instance, you know that Wasi, for instance, it wasn't written uh, uh, in, in, in the times that we, we just wrote it in the, in the last months. If you also recall, something like BEC initially was done around June, July, but this time around, we wrote it in November. Mm. Again, for the first time, we are seeing university students having taken up their admissions in January, which ordinarily was September. Okay. And so we acknowledge on principle that the law has changed, of course, I mean, partly and largely to, due to uh, the post-COVID effect and the fact that we, we had to waste almost one full academic calendar. Uh, having said that, there's also that bit of the TV service, which are, uh, uh, as of now, have all been also added to the free senior high school policy. And so this time around, for the first time, we're having uh, over 149 schools that will also be, be, be enrolled within the free senior high school policy, also coming from the TV service. And so there was that need to, once again, realign the timetable. Of course, I mean, having given the premise of what has happened and the fact that a lot of distortions, a lot of discrepancies and confusions were created within the timetables that we have. It was against this backdrop that the Minister for Education set up the Ministerial Committee on uh, Schools calendar. Of course, I mean, headed by the, the Reverend Intim Fojo, mm. the Deputy Minister in charge of General Education. And uh, their work or their task was to, of course, I mean, consult with all stakeholders. Uh, you are looking at a CHAS, that is a conference of heads of assistance, uh, secondary schools, the Ghana Education Service, the TVS Service, uh, representatives from NACA, and of course, I mean, I mean, the 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 and all other other institutions that may may, may have educational interest. Obviously, to get a comprehensive timetable that to not only addresses the challenges of the past, but even looks into the present and even into the future. And so, what the committee did was to draft a timetable that, of course, I mean, addresses the concerns of 2022. 2023 and even 2024. So, yes, on the face value, we admit the challenge, we admit the confusion, we admit the discrepancies that came up, of course, I mean, largely due to post-COVID and the fact that we needed to demonstrate leadership. And so the timetable that we are having now is just a part of uh, the, 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 the full timetable that has been drafted. Of course, the draft document and the whole document has to be reviewed and adopted by the ministry ultimately. But of course, I mean, we felt that we couldn't have also wasted a lot of time uh, by communicating to the students who might have or who should prepare for, for, for school, I mean, this coming uh, February and of course January. Mm -hmm. and so it's against this backdrop that the, the Director General Professor Koka Mankwa made the announcement on behalf of the Ministry about the timetable for the second cycle schools and of course the busy schools accordingly. Run, run, run us through this calendar of yours. Yes, so if you look at the second cycle school for instance, you have the SHS 3 and the SHS 2 all reopening on Monday 7th of February 2022. And of course the SHS 1, they are scheduled to open on Monday 4th of February 2022. Uh, let me state that that is tentative. Uh, of course, I mean, because it's, it's, it's largely Coterminals uh, were dependent on the what we our arrangement with Wayek. I'm saying that because I mean these are guys who recently wrote their BEC exams, mm -hmm. and of course I mean we have been Wayek has always been an uh, how we call it an agency which has been collaborating with the ministry all this while, and so uh, we've held conversation with Wayek. Of course I mean with the hope of when they are going to release their timetable, how we call their BEC results so that you factor in. So. Uh, we, we made this tentative arrangement that uh, all things being equal by the 4th of April, 
we should get these students in, in, in school. That's the HHS1. Yeah, that's the one But I mean, there is something significant that you raise on the issue about whether or not the World Track has been cancelled. Yes. I mean, in, if you look at the, the timetable, I mean, with reference to the second cycle schools, one can advance that argument um, to a certain extent. I am saying that because if you look at the whole uh, uh, tag of double track, it came out as a result of the fact that you had some uh, green and gold tracks within the sea. Let's say students in Form 1, they have green track and gold track, where uh, when green ordinarily are in school, the, the gold track are also in the house and the vice versa. If you look at this timetable and arrangements of this timetable, it, it, it removes that arrangement entirely. And so I'm sure it's the more reason why a lot of people are saying that double track is, has been abolished. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. but, but for us in the ministry, we are, we are quite uh, careful in, in communicating that ultimately. Uh, because, but we wouldn't have that division where one uh, cohort within a group goes and the other stays. So apparently that, mm -hmm. that, that is that. Does that mean then that the infrastructure deficit has been closed? Uh, because that is the only way you'd be able to yeah, do there, there, there has been a tremendous work with regards to infrastructure. If you recall, for instance, when Get Fund, uh, of course, I mean, under the leadership of Dr. Boedu, took office in 2017, they made an infrastructure audit, of course, I mean, to see the progress of uh, uh, infrastructure within the educational sector. There was one revealing and a very profound thing that they found. Uh, which was about 3,897 projects that has been left at various stages of uh, completion. Of course, I mean, you can call them abandoned because, I mean, these were projects that started from President the first time up to 2017 that were not necessarily completed. Just as at last, about 1,001 of these projects were completed. Beyond that... 1,001? Yes, 1,001. Completed? Okay. As completed. in the buildings are done yes. and has facilities yes, within them. Completed, yes, I think, uh, yeah. No, I'm saying, I just want to be certain. The, we might have a building, but does it come equipped? Yeah, I, 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 get, I, get, I get what you are saying because we've, we've had such in the past. I mean, recall mm. the e-block conversations where yes. buildings were commissioned, but they cannot be said to be completed. If you look at our profile of describing what is completed mm -hmm. within the education system. So I get where the question is coming from. At least we have a case study to that effect but with with the reference that i'm making is completed but I mean, of course i mean there are not buildings which are were only left at the at the at the secondary school level of course they cut across you are looking at tertiary you are looking at secondary and even you're looking at it in basic so a lot of these infrastructures were had had been completed about a thousand and one of them beyond that uh when the president that's a, that's a huge number it also has, it's, it's significant yes across the country yes across the country it's significant and these are classrooms, dormitories, classrooms, dining halls, dining halls, other ancillary facilities that you can you can you can think of. Uh, beyond that, beyond that, um, uh, beyond that, rem remember the president also declared that uh, between five to seven years they were going to do away with double track. Mm. And so there were also some level of infrastructure development that was also done there. Uh, about nine hundred and sixty-four, but at least I can I can I can quote about more than nine hundred okay. projects that were also completed at at that at that level. Uh, so if you look at I have a document here when it comes to infrastructure at uh, at uh, the secondary school level, summer of senior high school infrastructure interventions. You're looking at the Get Fund emergency senior high school projects, about nine hundred and sixty-seven of them. Uh, secondary education improvement projects, uh, 135 of them, and the Kuwait funded projects is about uh, 33. 
So if you look at this, there's about 1,135 projects that were, 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 were actually uh, being worked on. As of last year, even about 584 of these projects uh, were, 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 these are a summary of completed senior high uh, school infrastructure projects. I mean, that is even beyond what GetFund inherited. So you're having about 584 of them even from these projects that were also completed. So clearly, that, that, that uh, 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 level of efforts, where a lot of efforts were, 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 were put to infrastructure development or expansion at the secondary level. But of course, I mean, it doesn't only end there. We, we really still have to do more. Because if you look at it critically, uh, you realize that SHS 3, SHS 2 will be in school on the 7th. Of course, I mean, if you mm -hmm. look at the SHS 1, they are likely to be in April. Yes. So I don't know really, it's, it's, it's almost impossible that the three schools at any given time the three transfers might be in school. So I'm sure it's also based on that. That is the more reason why you may not necessarily be having uh, the tracking system, even though. But I think, Godfrey, it's important for me to also emphasize that when we talk about the double track schools, uh, recall that out of the over 726 schools that we had, it was not all the schools that were under double track. It was around less than 400 of them that were under double track. And, a lot of them has even winded of win is of, 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 of the double track and of course the rest of the schools are where uh, these arrangements and interventions are also currently being done. So in terms of uh, that concept that we used to know as green and gold within a particular year group, we they, we will not be having it again. I mean, is the more reason okay. why we call this this one also a transitional calendar. So it means that we are transiting gradually from one point to the to the other. So. People may not be entirely wrong when they say that double track is, 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 is no more. Quite apart from that, you also come to the busy schools. Uh, of course, I mean, I've heard Kofi have a problem with why we had to realign those in primary schools and those in KG to also uh, uh, do semester basis. Uh, of course, I mean, that is the, the new, the new, the, the new. So, you have the basic schools opening on the Tuesday, 18th of January, 2020, just coming Tuesday. Initially, uh, the arrangement that we had, uh, you realize that it was only the JHS that was doing semester basis. This time around, you are adding the other guys who are also uh, below the JHS also to the semester basis. And of course, I, I remember on one show, a few questions why we have to introduce these guys to the semester basis. You see, most of the decisions that the ministry take is not taken out of a vacuum. Context is very important. Of course, if you take the, the text out of the context, you, you wouldn't be having any point of, 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 of reference when you are having any fruitful conversation. What we did was to carry out uh, uh, some form of research within some of our districts. And we noticed some level of correlation and complementarity between the students or the people in JHS and of course those in the lower level, I mean KG and PEM. So you notice that a lot of times when the uh, uh, students in, uh, for instance, KG, they, they vacate, it affects those in, uh, uh, how do you call it, junior high. Because most of these are their brothers, their families and their relations. And a lot of times their parents ask them to take them to school. and so. There, there were instances where you recall that when the KG people are on, on back or on break, a lot of these uh, guys in the junior high schools, you see that the, the, the attendance level really comes down and questions were raised. So you, you, you realize that there are situations where parents will say that, no, if your brother is not going to school, if your kid is not going to school, 
you will have to probably stay behind and take care of them. There are also situations where it's also the vice versa. When 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 these kids are also in, uh, are open and probably the JHS are also in the house, you 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 realize that the reverse is also however true because I mean a, a lot of times parents will also require that these are uh, adults who are probably in JHS who are a bit matured also take care of their of their your, I mean young ones to school so. We saw that correlation and we felt that it was important to align or streamline their timetable to harmonize them so that we wouldn't have any of them uh, uh, playing to the dis disadvantage of the other, especially when the other party ever uh, case. So, so that is also what the research indicated and, and we felt that we needed to align. So basically, this is what this new timetable okay. seeks to do as a transitional timetable. But you, you made a point about whether or not people are, are still keeping trust and hopes in the, the current reforms that are we'll get there. Away. We'll get there. Away. Away. We'll, we'll get there. I want to stop there first, but just to but just to just to go through. I'm going to add dates to this. So for the parents who are listening on City Nine Seven Three, watching us as well. So from threes are in school seventh February, and could you stay with me? So if I make a mistake, you correct me. Yeah, seventh. Seventh. And they are in school. Uh, I think they are currently in school, but they yeah. break. Yes. Around first eight four. No, no, they will break around twenty eight. Then come and take some ten days rest. And Why are they breaking? You know, they they came for the Christmas break to go and write their exams. After exams, they are done in school. Essentially, they are done with their. Okay, so they are back on the twenty eighth. Yeah. And then they stay till the end. No, they they rest and then go back on seventh of February. Okay, so they go back seventh February, yeah. and then they are in school till first April. Uh, I have to check the, the, the full, okay. I mean... The well, that is what I have in front of me from your office. Full, uh, so, 7th April yeah, there is a to 1st yeah, yeah, April, yeah, right? Yeah. And then they vacate from 2nd April to 18th April. Mm -hmm. And then, 2nd semester, they are in school 19th April to the end of WASI. Yeah, we got yeah, until they were in okay. yeah, I think uh, yeah, I have the same document. Yes. And WASI is when? Which month is WASI reading? No, um, September. September. So they're going to stay in school from April all the way through to September. Yeah, but, I mean, but there's, uh, there are there are breaks. There are, there are breaks within. Of course, I mean the school uh, at the level of the school, the Ghana Education Service has asked them to give uh, breaks. Yeah, okay, no breaks. Um, we can get our points. From two also seven February. From two, there's the first and okay. So the from two seventh February. Till 14th April, mm -hmm. then they stay home from 15th April to 25th June. That's quite significant. They have enough rest. But why are they going to school 7th February to 14th? Isn't that too short? Oh, that's fine. Well, it's, uh, it's, so, so you have to look at, uh, you see, the, the, the most important thing is that you have to look at the weeks and the contact hours. If you look at the SHS study, for instance, they are look, doing 32 weeks, that's about 1,280 contact hours. It's mm. very significant. I mean, when you put everything together, yes, I'm not sure if you disagree with me here. Okay, SHS to there yeah, are 30 with us about 1200 contact hours, mm. extremely significant. Yes, I'm sure even our teachers may even complain that they, they no, we'll get to all those. We'll I just want parents to know the dates, yeah. So, uh, 7th Publish so now I'm publishing as well. Yeah. So you let me finish publishing. Seventh yeah. February to fourteenth April, vacation fifteenth April to twenty fifth June. Then second semester they are in school seventeenth July to twenty sixth August. And then vacate from twenty seventh to sixth. 
and then in the second uh, 26th June to 16th July, uh, there's no break. No, no, it's a, it's the second semester begins no break. Can uh, you explain that to me? That's a uh, SS2 from two. Yeah, I mean that is a second. Uh, uh, SHS two. I'm referring to the second semester, right? Yes. Says no break there. Yes. Twenty six June to July. So you have June, July. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean they are referring to the the whole break about vacation, like a full vacation. But like I said, I mean if you there will be conversations. Yes. Okay. Yeah, at the level of the school to give right, So parents know that that's a reasonable break. Yeah. Parents know that then second semester is seventh October to sixteenth December. Yeah. And then for form ones fourth April to 20th June and then uh, vacation is 21st June to 3rd September the second semester is 25th September to 16th December so that is it so Kofi I'm sure you've heard everything you see has to say about transitional calendar that has been put in place and then for both the basic school and then the secondary schools today, today be nice Office is always nice. Uh, transitioning from where to where? I want to understand why it's called transitional. Transitioning from where to where? Because he notes that. Because he notes that. Uh, I I wish he would uh, he would actually respond before I proceed. I want to understand the transition. Where are we transitioning from and where are we going? Because you finish your point. Why are we coming to transitional calendar? I because we were expecting a definite, um, you know, um, a very very predictable and um, complete calendar um, after waiting for so long uh, we had always indicated that we were confident in the process that the minister put in place by providing ministerial level um, leadership in the development of the calendar because of the challenges we've had with previous gs calendars so then when we took to announce the calendar i i kept saying was going to be justified by two things the first being how um complete or how definitive this calendar was going to be and secondly how we are all as stakeholders ministry of finance education gs parents cso's are all able to play collective roles to ensure that the calendar works at the end of this year those were the two reasons why i kept saying that justifies the delay that occasion the release so if after all the delay the, the calendar is released and it's still transitional, then I have to ask the question, why are we calling it transitional anyway? Okay. Let me just move to the calendar. The senior high school calendar, and again, yes, the senior high school calendar is um, is good. Um, I wouldn't say I don't see anything wrong with it, but it is the best we can manage at the moment. To be honest with you, I don't see any challenge with students staying at home till April before they go to school. Mm. Uh, people are raising all sorts of issues. They're fretting what's in um, results are out and, and no, no, no. I don't think there's an issue there. Let me handle that. You see, last year, <coughs> the, the, the distance between the time Wasi results are released, okay, and then the time placements are done and then admissions are made, it's very, very important in analyzing whether we have stayed home too long or not. I'm talking about the senior high school one. Mm -hmm. Last year, the distance between the day YEC released the results and admission date for senior high school one was 125, 125 days in 2020. Okay. 
You understand? It was 125 days. The distance between the date Wayek released this year's result, I mean, that's in December, and the proposed reopening date in, in April, April is 117 days. Okay, so it is not entirely true, or it's not true that we are, we are delaying the reopening of senior high school one for new students. We are actually doing it one week earlier, looking at the time between the release of last results and then admission dates. You should look at it carefully. I'm also happy that we are continuing to make progress in the infrastructure expansion um, interventions in the secondary education sector. Government took the biggest loan I've ever seen in the education sector, $1.5 billion. Mm. Later, refinanced into a bond, 20.5% 20, 20 coupon rate. Very, very expensive yeah, very. facility yeah. called the Dutch bond. And one of the main reasons was to expand senior school infrastructure, obviously, which will lead to the phasing out of the double track. And um, in the ministers, in the Argon minister, you know, you realize that generally projects were only at about 30% completion. They were delays because of the way the earlier financing arrangements, which is the syndication that was put together to finance this infrastructure thing, went. And then the process of converting it to a bond and all that. But I'm happy that we've been able to make substantial progress in the past 12 years in respect of the completion of some of these projects. It is because some of these projects have been completed that we are having more beds, more sitting places, more writing places. For that matter, we are able to accommodate two cohorts in school as one cohort remains at home. When we are doing strictly double track, we are having half of senior high school three, half of senior high school two, and half of senior high school one in school at, at a point, technically speaking. Mm -hmm. But now we have, we have two full cohorts there. Okay. So it means that you have more than 850 to 900,000 places in school at a time. Yeah. And that's true that, that that is progress, you understand. And that progress gives me the, um, the conviction that if we move at this pace, okay, by the end of this academic year, given the rate of uh, completion of the ongoing project, because these are fully funded projects, there's cash there. Mm -hmm. So given the pace as we are going, we should be able to see... Um, um, the end of um, double track by the end of the, this calendar year. Unless something unexpected happens in terms of delayed release of funds, um, which is unexpected because this funding is a loan. Mm. If it were to come from GMG, I would have said that it's expected. But this is a loan, and so I don't see that happening. So that is progress. The secondary, the basic school calendar. I listen. The junior high school started piloting, if you like, the semester approach last year. The semester approach was occasioned by the double track system. Double track limited the number of days that you know the, the number of days that we have spending in school. Okay, so we government devised innovative approaches, including increasing the number of hours, even though the number of days were reduced so that we don't compromise on the contact hours. This semester approach was adapted because of double track. Mm. It was an emergency. Yes, it was, yes it, that is, it's not a good situation. And so the impression, and I don't think it has really been created that it was actually an, an invention. No, it wasn't, it wasn't anything new or anything 
it, 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 it arose as a result of an emergency. That's what how I want to put it. But immediately you adapt a semester approach at a secondary level, you need to align. Because secondary education is being fed by junior high schools. Mm -hmm. So they can't have three terms here and then you run two semesters. You need to align so that when the raw material is completed in June, July, it can enter into the, the next factory. I mean, it's, it's logical. Now, come to primary. Again, there, there will be disalignment issues. And so you have to align. Apart from that, you also realize that teachers who are being paid the same amount of money were having challenges with incongruity in the hours of, you know, uh, hours they were teaching. Because someone was teaching in a junior high school and would be doing I mean, more or less time than a primary school. There were also issues with vacation and you know, alignment and all that. So I appreciate the fact that it was necessary to align the primary schools to the junior high schools. The challenge is this. What scientific reasons led to the ministry deciding that kindergartens, not the primary school, kindergartens should also run the system? Because I would have thought that the reason to add on cages should have been informed by a research on how keeping students in school for five months. I'm talking about not, not students, pupils mm -hmm. below age six in school for five months would would make learning sense. I thought that we would have had everything because the whole semester issue within the basic education system is still a pilot. We just finished the junior high school one. What were the outcomes? In many of our schools realized that in the last month of the semester system, students get very, very tired. It affects retention. It affects attention. And it affects retention. Many schools started recording lower attendance rates. Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about rural schools. I'm talking about schools who monitored throughout this semester issue in the West and then in the South. Okay. So, it means that we, we are not just used to it. And students will get tired if they go this, you know, mile. In rural areas, the situation might even be worse because over there, people are doing miles to go to school. So it's not about going to wake up and walking to school. People are doing miles. So when you have compacted long periods with, with, with no breaks, then they also will become worn out. The way... I'm making a point. Yeah, low bricks. They also become worn out the way the Gareth and the Grand Central and other, other students were becoming worn out, even though they have access to transport. So if you have a five months, if you, if you are spending five months in school with one vacation, and no, five months in school with one vacation being an Easter break, and you are doing your miles to school every day, it means that it will be more stressful. I was expecting all this to have fed into a decision perhaps not to have done the semester ten for the KD level. level. But the ministry has its own reasons for you know um, deploying the semester ten at the KD level. Let me quickly see. Another impact which is very very important this arrangement is having is on college of education. 
President mm -hmm. today, over 15,000 ministers. Yeah, teachers at the Club of Education who are diplomats, who are who are not going through the the um, the, the, the an, an upgrading program that should give them the beard. These are in-service teachers, teachers who are already teaching. I mean, I said teachers, so obviously they are in school. Now, this program normally is run during the vacations, terminal vacations. Mm -hmm. Now, there are no terminal vacations. So, they can't go to the schools and run them and, and go through the, the program in April again. They can't go in June because the new semester system would have kept them in school by then. Now, what is happening now is that the colleges of education, for the, the batch, I think the third batch that I just started, the quality of education will now have to do the 16-week program. It was supposed to be a 16-week program. I'm getting you from a diploma to be at basic education. The quality of education will now have to do the 16-week program between the third week of December. If you look in the calendar, the only time it's available, the chairs available is in the third week of December. So they have to run it between the third week of December and then the second week of January. Because regular students will be admitted in the college of education in the third week of January. So this program will have to be compressed and done between the third week of December and then the second week of January. Four weeks to do a program, a, semester, a double semester program of 16 weeks. Four weeks. So that is another thing that we need to look at because you obviously cannot teach students in four weeks or three weeks, it's actually three weeks, what they are supposed to be taught and examined because there will be two quizzes within the period and then the same exams. They cannot do all of that in, in, in four weeks when they are supposed to do it in 16 weeks without compromising on the quality. All right, I hear you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we'll take a break. You are listening to The Big Issue on City 970 City TV, uh, discussing education and the new calendar that has that that is coming into effect uh, uh very very soon according to the education ministry uh we'll take a break when we return we'll look at the curriculum as well teaching materials uh the infrastructure is there from what Chrissy has told us but the substance of it is what we'll be looking at the big issue will be right back so the big issue on city 970 and also on city tv um, my name is Godfred Akotobuafo. We've been discussing the first R of uh, the program, education, uh, trying to break down the new timetable for those of you who are parents and also for the children, uh, wards who are watching, and uh, what has gone on particularly at the basic school level and then at the secondary school level. But there's also concern at the university level. We'll get to that in a bit, uh, where uh, Dr. Clementa Park, for instance, um, has spoken about a couple of issues. So uh, he's a member of parliament for Busa South, uh, himself an academic, used to teach at the University of Ghana. And uh, he says, for instance, he, I'm just reading what he said. Um, he says, the ongoing strike by lecturers of our public universities has generated a wider conversation regarding our public universities. The stalled conditions of service negotiations between UTAG and government and the withdrawal of teaching and related services by university lecturers is unfortunate. However, the lecturers cannot be blamed. Government must be held to account for failing to fulfill its obligations to the lecturers. Now, below are some of the issues affecting teaching and learning at our public universities. Overburdened lecturers due to large student numbers. 
poor condition of service of lecturers, leading to limited focus on the quality of teaching. Limited research support and funding leading to limited research output. Lack of adequate infrastructure, lecture halls, residential facilities, office space, etc. Non-provision of teaching aids such as laptops and horrible internet and IT infrastructure and costs in the face of COVID. Quality of students entering the university is challenging as some have poor speaking and writing ability. And signed uh, Clementa Park, Deputy Ranking Member on Education. We can add this to the second part of the conversation, which mostly deals with the substance as we move the conversation along. And Chrissy, we've spoken about 1,001 buildings that have been provided. You said complete, as in complete. You've tried to contextualize what complete means yeah. uh, in this particular circumstance. But a lot of the teachers have also complained about the teaching materials. They are willing to teach, but the materials are not available. Parents have expressed concerns about the materials that are required, the textbooks that are supposed to be used. What, is it two years now, if I'm not mistaken? We are third year. Third year. No textbooks to teach. What are the teachers teaching with? All these numbers, these new semester things that you have brought. How are we teaching? Okay, Vero, just a quick one. Uh, I think Kofi made reference to what informs the decision to align the KG, the KG. With, uh, with yes. the, to that of uh, the, the junior high. Mm. Of course, I mean, he admitted that alignment is, is progressive, mm -hmm. but of course, I mean, disagreed with that of the KGs. I made a point, I don't know if it didn't clearly come out, that uh, if you look at the KGs, we did a research and realized that in terms of attendance, I share the finance. Okay. Can you share the finance with me? Of course. I mean, when you get to the ministry, you can yeah. pick a copy of the documents. Oh, then you do which As soon as I say we did a research mm -hmm. and we find that is a finding, but I said that if you want the document, you uh, can pick the full document uh, at, the, at, it, the, at the ministry. It will not be good to you. Come, come. I'll personally even take it. Thank you. That's right. What I'm saying is that we we realized that there was a correlation. I mean, in terms of attendance between the KG and those in the JHS. Well, a lot of times you had those in the JHS taking their kids, their young brothers and uh, uh, sisters to school. And so when one vacates, it really affects the other. Especially when the KGs vacate, you realize that uh, most of the JHS have to stay home and, and take care of them. And you see that attendance at the JHS level will fall very low. It's against this background that we feel the need to, to align them. But of course, I mean, admittedly, we all agree that they are uh, breaks within their, 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 their calendar, so that period of rest will also come in. Then you ask about the teaching and learning materials, which yeah. has become a focus of our conversation. I have a lot of teachers on my WhatsApp right now. Yeah. Let me just give you two quick messages. Uh, aside from Dodo, I'm a teacher in the classroom. My difficulty is why I shouldn't be kept in the classroom for the number of weeks when we have no uh, learner resources to teach. We have become magicians in the classroom. Washington says, I'd like to know the number of months even I spent at the university for a semester course. How on earth are we keeping KG and GHS pupils in school for six months? Yeah, there are breaks. There are breaks. He explained that yeah. there'll, be, there'll be... He says, stress will hinder the outcomes that you are looking for. Well, okay, so on the, on the teaching and learning materials, let me the state... Textbooks, it, uh, the te sorry, uh, the textbooks in particular, but of course, I mean, it forms a subset of the teaching and learning mm -hmm. materials in, in holistically. So you realize that uh, when the, uh, uh, how do you call it, the, the standards-based curriculum was implemented at the basic level, of course, I mean, 
it ought to have been complemented with the textbooks and all other teaching and learning materials. Clearly, we admit that there was a delay when it comes to procurement issues and, of course, publications in the, in, the, in the textbooks. Of course, I mean, sometimes there have to be quality assurance, vetting of the textbooks, procurement issues, and printing and other things. So, admittedly, there was that delay. But the ministry, of course, under the leadership of the minister, Dr. Yadwitch, was proactive. <coughs> what he did was to secure teachers and learners' resource pack, which essentially uh, 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 is a... Is a is a accumulation or, or, or the entire, how do you call it, uh, uh, a review of the, the, the curriculum that is used to enhance teaching and learning activities. Because, I mean, the, the teacher and learner resource pack is a document that contains almost everything that is essential to enhance teaching and learning activities. In most jurisdictions, textbooks, for instance, has only become a supplementary reading material. So, textbook is not used in the teaching project. I mean, if you, if you bear is, that, is that your excuse? No, 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 no. I think so. No, I'm, 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 no, I'm making a case. I think you should, no, no, you should, you should, you should allow me to, you should allow me to, you should allow me to. That sounds a bit weird. No, go on. The point I'm making is that it is not factual that there are no materials to enhance teaching and learning. Well, the teachers are telling me. I'm not telling you. No, the teachers I, are no, telling me. I am saying that you should probably also ask that teacher. <laughs> that I have eight of them right now. It doesn't change anything. They could be being hundred, but the most important thing is that as of now, the ministry, when they enrolled the standard-based curriculum, provided teachers and learners resource pack, which are the required materials necessary or needed to enhance teaching and learning. Textbooks has always been supplementary reading materials for the student. Mm -hmm. You understand. <laughs> Textbooks has always been a supplementary learning material for the student. It is against this backdrop that you go to even jurisdictions like UK who doesn't use textbooks. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying that it does not negate the fact that in Ghana here, if we look at the system that we practice, we will still need textbooks. I have made a lot of contacts with the procurement department, of course, under the instruction of the minister. And, hey, girlfriend, I am assuring you that if you look at the, the pace of the processes, hopefully by March, we are getting the textbooks. I will show you on this plan. Your, your minister said, save a few months ago. He, he mentioned by March. Well, the date he gave. Yeah, September. Said September. Mm -hmm. Wait, he said September when? No, I mean, he, remember he, he already spoke and gave certain deadlines which were, were not met. But I'm saying that when he mentioned that uh, on the fourth parliament that procurement that he never added the date. Okay, so by March, mm -hmm. yeah, by March, for mm -hmm. so now we don't have any dates yet. Yeah, but I'm, I'm telling you that by March, mm -hmm. from what you have seen, yes, from what I have seen from the procurement guys. Of course, mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to everything that they've done, setting up a quality assurance team to vet the books, uh, selection processes, and publication, we are very hopeful that by March this year, the test books will be ready. So, mm -hmm. yes, if there is anybody who is much concerned uh, about getting the test books, is the Minister for Education. Because he appreciates the, the enormity of the issue. And I also appreciate the concerns that have been raised. I mean, he's an educationist. Mm. Of course, um, it's unfortunate that we had the delays partly due to all these processes that are involved. Because it will also be suicidal to have also rushed through the process. 
and just get i mean any textbook because you want a textbook so to make a case and so we had to make or take that diligent course to be able to get a very quality materials for our students to read but i'm assuring you godfrey that hopefully by march we are getting the thing so our teachers should, 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 should continue to take advantage of the teachers and the learners resource but that has been provided to all schools remember during the training of the, uh, the uh, uh, teachers on the standard based curriculum over 150,000 of these packs were distributed to uh, teachers at the, at the basic level okay and and it is expected that these are the materials that they use of course I mean they are you see we're used to a system where textbook was part of our teaching and learning activities and so that thinking or that thought is also there that i mean without textbooks you cannot teach but i'm saying that that is not the case yeah, okay. but of course i mean we do appreciate the issues that has been raised and hopefully by march the textbooks will, will be ready we are to add a dr pat issue yes, so i want to add dr Park's issue first of all dr pat raised an initial issue that ought to be addressed i'm sure kofi will record it without verifying he said that 44,000 teachers have left the service, Ghana Education Service, it means that because they are having poor conditions of service. Alfred, let me take the opportunity. I haven't seen that in this I, 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 I have seen it. Well, it's not on my platform now, so you can't I say it. I will it. Kofi. Yes, you you you, Kofi, you, 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 you come back. But all I'm saying is, on the point on this part, on his oh, education in crisis, yeah, I want to, he does not indicate yeah, that. Godfrey, I get you, but I mean, this is this is not war, this is also education. I just want to want to want to want Ghanaians to know the the i mean the trace of dr park when it comes to his comments and views on education he made this bold statement about forty-four thousand teachers having left the service and the Ghana education service which was factually inaccurate because mm -hmm. what he did was to compare if you look at the gs profile he just took that of 2020 2021 and did the deduction came to that conclusion that well forty-four thousand teachers have left which was not true you see in 2021 GES was doing was calculating. I mean, based on the GES uh, 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 profile, they were doing what we call the teacher uh, people ratio to be able to determine that match or that number in terms of teacher people ratio. In doing that, you only take your professional teachers. Professional teachers are those that have been to the College of Education, of course, have been certified by the colleges, and now in GES payroll. So what GES did was to exclude teachers uh, from NACO. Uh, those teachers from national service and of course those are teachers. They are teachers. Na, na, national national service. Yes, if we post a national service you post a national service personnel to teach a student for a full one year, will you call such a person a carpenter? Obviously the person is a teacher. But when it comes to the professional as a professional teacher, you do not categorize such a person as a professional teacher. So there's a that distinction. So you have these NAPCO guys, you have these national service personnel, and of course, I mean you have those uh, uh training teachers who are on teaching practice. DGS mm -hmm. based on their profile doesn't qualify them as professional teachers. So in the twenty twenty one calculation that GSD, they omitted these guys. Hey, Dr. Park just saw the figures and just did So that affects his 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 Conclusion that yeah, quality of students entering universities have challenges. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing that. I'm coming to address <laughs> There's a lack of infrastructure. No, in the I, no I want to. That they have no research. No, I want to. I want to. I want to discredit him. No, no, no. That's what you want. I want to. I want to focus on. I'm coming there. I'm, I'm coming there. He also said that. Hey, I'm coming there. I'm coming there. So, so demonstrates that we cannot at all times. Take his views as 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 absolute. Yes, as a gospel. But I mean, a lot of time this even proves that, of course, credibility. Why would you take me as a gospel? 
I'm explaining to you about the target, which is some of my support. But anyway, we should take what I'm just for. What is another issue? He says, uh-huh. you see, you yeah, address UTAC. He mentioned that UTAC, their police of service are getting worse and whatever, and it, it affects whatever. Yeah, they went on strike recently. Yes, it's true. It's so, addressed. It's true. If you, I mean, just, just quickly. So with the UTAG issue, I remember I had opportunity to sit in the negotiation table on the 6th of October. On the 6th of October, when the parties left the negotiation table, they signed a memorandum of agreement. And in that memorandum, there were two conditions or two issues that was very outstanding. The first one was to increase the research component of the book and research allowance from the 1,500 CDs to $1,600. I think it is also important for us to remind ourselves that before 2017, it was around 500 cities. That is a research component of the book and research allowance. Today, after 6 October, it moved from 1,500 cities to $1,600. Of course, I mean, the parties also agreed that the implementation has to be started in, in 2022. Then there was also another condition of the labor market survey issue that the UTAG raised, of course, about their market premium or whatever. Indeed, we tag agree on principle that when it comes to the market premium, there is a white paper on it, and so it's not negotiable. So, what the parties agree that let us finish conducting the labor market survey so that we'll be able to know which of you guys, the kind mm -hmm. of services that you are making, which probably may, may qualify as a premium service and then ultimately qualify for <coughs> the, the, the payment of the allowance to that effect. Of course, I mean, the parties agree that that process was also supposed to. Were terminating somewhere December 2021, of which fair wages and salaries commission, of course, uh, at the statistical service were unable to complete. So I think they they they, they delayed about six days. In all these things, Utah UTAG were, were, were kept informed. When the document was ready and they called UTAG and gave the document to UTAG, party that all the parties agreed that all the conditions that were signed in the 6th October agreement had been met. So therefore, there was no other strike. And so what UTAG was to do was to go and review the document, the draft report from the statistical service, so that at least they make their inputs within two weeks. After taking that document, in less than 72 hours, UTAG declared a strike. Um, at least, <laughs> there is a body that is responsible for making a determination whether a strike is legal or illegal or whether parties are the case. And I think it was yesterday, let's say the National Bell Commission ruled that UTAG does not have a case. But for me, and um, those of us in the ministry, we have always held the position that when two elephants fight, it is the grass that surface. Mm. The point I want to put is that it is not always the case that when there are labor issues, it is always the employer that probably has not uh, uh, respected the part of, 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 of the agreement that has been, been, been signed. Because you have a document that was guiding your negotiation process, and then one party unilaterally accepts the, 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 the terms of the agreement and declares a strike. So let us put all the facts into context. It's not every time that we can probably hastily conclude that maybe government is not doing the government. If you look at the market premium that we, uh, the, 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 the Utah currently enjoys, that's around 114% of their basic salary. I mean, you and I know is that it's one of the, the, the highest within, within, within professionals in the country. But of course, I mean, it doesn't also necessarily mean that governments should not listen to their concerns. Anybody is entitled to their, their improved conditions of service. And, of course, I mean, UTAG is not excluded. Right. Point so, made. yes. Your point is made on that. Kofi, let me, let me come to you on... Does the ministry's explanation on the 
perhaps over emphasis of the importance of textbooks. Please, we've not said over emphasis. Before we quote me, you see, um, in the education sector, our biggest problem. Mm. A lot of times we discuss symptoms, symptoms, symptoms. We call them problems, but they are symptoms. The major problem is the poor implementation of beautiful policies and laws. That has been our being in the in the past decades. And any time I hear government, the Minister of Education, talk about transforming education, I get so excited. Because transforming means changing something from its previous nature and form to an improved one. Now let's put the way we have approached the textbook issue within the context of transforming education. And let's ask ourselves whether we are transforming education. You, the history is that. The history, which is the poor planning that has occasioned at that new curriculum rollout or reform is that we start the curriculum implementation of the curriculum without textbooks sometimes we go for three years before textbooks are available international best practice dictates that every five years you review your curriculum mm -hmm. so if you want a new curriculum and then it takes three years before you're able to get textbooks or sometimes four years it means that the curriculum itself always takes off crawling then from day one, you start getting everything wrong about what is supposed to be new and impactful on the system. That's it. So on the day we launched the curriculum, I granted an interview and I said that the curriculum, the content of the curriculum is as good, the content, the structure, is the framework is as good as its implementation. And that so far as we are concerned, 99% of the issue has to do with how the critical building blocks for the new curriculum is available if the blocks are not available and it is implemented within the current existing deficient system where there is no proper planning then the good content and the good framework will not be felt and will not impact on quality so there will be a new curriculum standard based curriculum this that 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 can transform education free generation all the nice words nothing will happen two and a half years after my interview where we are today the fact that we are not departing from the bad history of policy planning and implementation the policy practice is still here last the policy is a but we are doing b on the ground if we are not departing from poor planning and physical application or implication uh, implementation of policies there's no way you can transform education because you are doing the same thing. If you do the same thing over and over again, can you, can you expect different results? It's not possible. So the fact that the ministry at conception conceived that we are going to start implementing the new curriculum without textbooks and expect that as we progress, we procure textbooks, that baseline is flawed. Doesn't happen in any country. Our publishers that they help us. I mean, in, uh, that 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 plan, your plan alone suggested that you are not transforming education. There may have been, you know, 
interlocal trees. I mean, you're going to have challenges along the way, yes. But before you go to the public sector, the fact that you say that I am starting the curriculum in this academic year and that later I'll do textbooks, that alone meant that you, have, you don't understand how to transform education using the curriculum. Because if you go to America, and I know how new curriculum are rolled out in rural states in America, if the curriculum is ready, they virtually wait for a whole cohort to face out. Then they roll it out gradually. They were teaching and learning uh, we, resource packs. No, no, I, no, I also have we, that. We faced our, our curriculum abruptly in, basis in, in primary schools and brought in a new curriculum without any textbooks. And packs. then we trained children, we taught children in primary six in the new curriculum, only to graduate to junior high school one to be taught in the old curriculum. Is that how to transform education? Let's be honest for ourselves. And begin to let our actions match the plaintiffs to run around. You can't transform education when you introduce a primary school new curriculum, beautiful curriculum in primary six, teach someone for one year, the person graduates into junior high school one, to junior high school one, only to be taught in a new, new curriculum. It's like buffing a pig. Only to find the pig in the in the, in, the, in the gutter in the next hour. So please, I don't want I don't want to hear anyone trying to defend the textbooks. The, the delay. It is not about the delay. The plan wasn't to have textbooks before we the plan. And that plan is not true. If your plan, I'm saying that if your plan, or if government's plan of to have textbooks available before we the not true. Government wasn't having to rush to Why? Why did we rush? I'm telling you that the whole of 2020, yes, the entire economic activity relative to production was down. Why did you roll up the curriculum? Why did you have textbooks? That's the point I'm making. Again, you also make a point about the fact that the GHS level, the curriculum was not implemented. Of course, we passed to the. Hold on, let me address that quickly. Remember that we started the training of teachers for the implementation of the Common Core curriculum at the at the DSS level. When we start again again, again without textbooks, you agree there are resource packs. You agree there are learners and teachers. I'm talking about textbooks. Well, obviously, I'm with you that that resource packs are I'm saying that without textbooks again, we see. If you keep repeating the mistakes in history, the mistakes in history is that any time we have reviewed our curriculum, we've gone three years without textbooks. And at the end of the five years or ten years, we have had no we have had no we have had no tangible results as a result of curriculum reforms. That is the the what you are saying is the GES said the same thing in two thousand and seven or so when we the last time we did the revision curriculum. The same thing. That when we are working on it, it has delayed the same thing. The GES never said they provided resource packs. This time on the provision of resource packs. This is not the first time. No, I'm telling you that the curriculum guys have been provided for when 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 was that? I'm saying that you can't transform education. When you roll out a new curriculum without textbooks, when you roll out a new curriculum with resource packs, it is okay. So it's transforming, right? Yes, it's transforming. Okay. The second issue is the issue of the UTAC crisis. The issue has dragged for long, since 2008 or so, and I think that successive governments have not, you know, dealt with this issue head on. I think that by now. We should have had a decisive, you know, um, solution or an end to this impasse in respect of the entry level um, um, issues for lecturers. Um, yes, we understand the situation we find ourselves in, but 
so far as I'm concerned, it is about government respecting a side of a bargain that is about 20 years old. Sorry, it's about how many years? 2012. It's about 10 years old. It's about government respecting a side of a bargain. And whatever it is, if government will have to meet the trust halfway, they will have to. But the current posture I see, you know, in the past three, four, five, six, seven years, the strategies that have been adapted in the past eight years have been more about delay, 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 delay. We are doing this, we are doing this. So I think that the strategy must change from using structural, you know, delays, you know, buying time to actually meeting them halfway. I think if the strategy for engaging the the the, the lecturers change from buying time, which has been the case for about eight years or nine years now, to meeting them halfway, it will benefit um, the academic calendar we have. Because don't forget that we are still managing COVID, and then we have, there are countries are all struggling to you know manage um, stable academic calendars. So as much as possible, the issues within our control must be sufficiently controlled and managed okay. and this includes um, labor unrest COVID, and the other, other um, issues are not squarely within the control um, of government so boss let's 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 let's, let's move the lectures halfway and then um and then let let our let our, let our guys go to school so that we don't do right. no problem let me take a couple of messages and then we wrap oh, up. but i was about to just say this okay, that I'll please give you a please kofi didn't I didn't support a pack. Everyone in our New Year message mm -hmm. advised the minister that according to the ministry's provisional data, 44,000 teachers. If that was certified, certified let's hear him. Okay. As I said, that in the New Year message we sent to ministry. They never said we indicated that according to the provisional MS data for the ministry, for, for the number of teachers in basic schools reduced by 44,000. But they never said they left. And that was about 15%. Okay? And so, if the number of teachers in primary schools has reduced by 18,000, the number in junior high schools have reduced by about 20,000, and so on, and so on, so, and so, and so What we did was that we allowed the ministry to ensure that more teachers are engaged to go and fill these vacancies that was our advice okay. after analyzing provisional data from the ministry if it happens that that provisional data is not accurate accurate so that's why it's called certified oh, it's not certified that's fine but that is not a direct data that is the ministry's own data okay but the point again i want to emphasize again maybe you've not been in the education sector for long i mean this is this is a lot not fair i'm coming to the point we are responding to certain the preamble is important for my response because at least i have been around for more than 20 years listen and this data as captured by the ministry is the ministry that determines their teachers GES count their teachers submitted to the ministry and then they they actually um um run it in the statistics by writers and then that determine how they should who they should call teacher we have teachers who are not licensed by naka who are teaching so then that we created that we went to we actually went around looking for some data relating to only licensed teachers no they are licensed teachers and they are licensed teachers in the system 
what the data we have been using to do analysis every day on teacher rationalization is the data from the ministry which says that number of teachers basic this is the number number of teachers junior schools this is the number number of teachers senior schools is the number it doesn't say and it has never distinguished between national service personnel napco teachers NYP teachers or whatever is in the past 20 years that decision has never been, been done so if we are taking the data from the ministry that the number of teachers in basic schools or primary schools has reduced from let's say 110,000 to junior schools from 110,000 to 89,000 for instance we will have to take it that teachers the, the, the teachers they have number left. Have have, left. Have, 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 they have left. <laughs> okay. Because if teachers number reduce, where do they go? You, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait. This is okay. And, 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 and this has nothing to do with people's share ratio. We don't want to take it. 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 We don't want to take Listen to I will discuss a bit of politics. Like I said, uh, the first part of this new year, 2022, will be filled with a lot of MPP politics. And already, um, it's beginning to bubble over for a few people. Uh, traditional media, social media, rumblings, questions, Alan Chamatin, Dr. Mahmoud Baumia, uh, upcoming party elections from constituency level up to the national level, all drawing significant interest. And um, we thought we would get a match and just have a conversation about it because it, is, it has become topical. In fact, on Friday, uh, the most popular uh, Facebook post was that of Gideon Boaku, which was who happens to be the one of the spokespersons. Well, most people would say the right hand of the sitting vice president, Mahmoud Baumia. Uh, some say a harmless post, but if you read through the comments coming from both sides, it tells you where that is and um, today we just want to break down what this means and uh, where the NPP is going and the challenges that they face or if not challenges basically just what to expect in this year of significant political activity uh, that will culminate in who becomes the party's flag bearer for the 2024 election but just before we do that don't forget you can also send in messages 0549-986-996 0549-986-996 and then 0550-58532 uh, 
0549-986-996 and 0550-585832. Also on Twitter at City973. The hashtag is The Big Issue. Or you can reach me on my own Twitter handle at East Sportsman. Um, the same hashtag, The Big Issue. You can check our Facebook pages as well, City973 and City TV Ghana or City TV GH on Facebook. And um, you can also catch us there. So let me just wrap up a few conversations, a uh, few messages from our previous conversation, and then we'll take it from there. Xilix doing in London says, our education system is muddled now, and we have to be wary. Uh, Masquisi Quanting uh, uh, defend everything. Look, the basic schools especially need urgent attention. We don't have any proper calendar, no textbooks, no capitation grants for years, except. And Echo Jan, who's a former TTAC General Secretary, sends a message and says, Look, God, you'd be amazed if I should list the rot going on at the basic level to you. Teachers and head teachers can't speak because they'll be victimized. To be honest, I am quite disappointed in Dr. Edu Chum. Teacher Opong from Ekrapim says, Ghana's educational system is indeed in crisis because capitation grants that headmasters and headmistresses need to run basic schools are not released for almost a year and we parents have to pay before our children write exams and this happened last year at the SHS level morale has dropped solo because government has refused to release intervention allowances for more than a year now uh, government is able to find money to pay article 71 holders but cannot find money to pay lecturers and teachers uh, we will continue with our agitations and then uh, a call john again comes and says uh, how are teachers supposed to manage respective schools with no capitation grant? No wonder we have resorted to compulsory or fair tree taking that we can get some funds really to pay utility bills, repairs, etc. And this one says uh, it's very dangerous that students who completed their BEC in November 2021 have to wait till April 22 to go to senior high school. I don't, I don't, where is the danger in that? I don't really get the danger but well if that is what you think um that's fine we can um go on with uh that uh let me just introduce my guest for the next panel uh my own good friend and brother is here on my immediate left sabir afi uh, uh senior correspondent at the presidency sabir good morning good morning girlfriend always a pleasure to have you dr Kanku, uh political watcher political communication analyst extraordinaire uh, lecturer at the Ghana Institute of Journalism. Good morning. Thank you, bro. Uh, Franklin Kujo is president of Imani Africa. Franklin, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And also, morning, we have uh, from Global Analytics, the executive director, uh, Mr. Musa Dankwa. Good morning. Good morning, Prof. We've been conducting a lot of uh, research. A lot of the research you hear prior to elections that media houses use, you wonder where it comes from. Musa Dankwa has a lot to do with that. That's significant political research with Global Analytics. So, it's good to have you in studio today. Okay, so Samir, let me. I guess I'll start the conversation for me. I'll let you start the NPP. Uh, have there are those who say this particular year might be politically the most important or the most crucial year they have faced in a very, very long time. What are your thoughts? Well, thank you very much, Godfrey. Um, it won't be different from other election years within. The MPP, if you remember, there was a similar one in 2014. Mm. That's all the election of Mr. Paula Foko and the rest. Mm. There was a similar one in 2018. That's all the election of, um, uh, sorry, Freddie Blay and John Boyd and the rest. So, um, in the year 2022, it's going to follow the same trend where the party is going to have its internal election to elect new national officers or 
officers in general starting from the police station level to the national level so it's a four-year cycle within the mpb where every four years they elect new officers from the police station to uh the national level so this year it, it's going to be same um the the police there's station a different weight on it you there, don't there, think there's so? a different weight to it but that will happen in two two and um, 2023 mm. when that candidate but the tension and the internal fight in court begins this year so the election of police station executive through to national officers will give you an idea how the presidential primaries it's going to be like yes you, know from that. you can tell from that from right from the police station level to the national you know the kind of executives who are elected which particular faction they belong so in the year two, 2023 what everybody within the MPP is waiting for on the minds of every MPP supporter or member is the presidential primaries, which we all know is going to be a two-horse race between Dr. Bamia and uh, Mr. Alan Shema. You are clearing your mind on that. Very clear. The others are just adding up to the numbers. So we all know how it's going to be like during that, 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 that period. So what is occupying the minds of every MPP supporter is that one. So from the police station... Hold on, before you go, I just want to say a couple of things. You are saying it's top of mind for lots of MP people. Is it clear amongst insiders that Alan Kujocha Martin will vie? Yes, Alan, Alan is going to vie. He, he's, he, he said it somewhere that, you know, in time past, he sacrificed for others to lead the MPP. It's now time for others to sacrifice for him to lead the MPP. With this comment, I mean, it tells you that he's really in the race to contest. And you get people close to him calling me telling you that my boss is going to run so i'm just putting you on the no just alerting you about it so and we know people within the barmia come also saying i had the opportunity to interview mr federal who happens to be an advisor to the vice president who publicly in an interview said that his boss is going to run for the mpp primary so it's a clear two horses between salah chamatin and the vice president dr Baumia. you do not see any dark horses outsiders who perhaps can come in and shake up i don't the... see that happening they don't see that happen. I don't. It's a two horse between the two people. Unless, unless there's a mirror. Adainimo is not significant. Not at all. In the last, in the last primaries in 2014, he got zero point something. Mm. So I, I, it's a two horse between the two candidates. Now and the two individuals. I want to put it that way. What kind of weight do they have? Let me put it up because that seems to be where yeah. the issue is coming from because start of the year this week we've had press conferences mm -hmm, we've mm -hmm. had uh, splinter groups in certain regions start speaking up saying we are being victimized here this is there and do you normally pick that up early when you know yeah. and it normally portends for a bitter conflict or a bitter contest and let me choose my words carefully a bitter contest uh, between the candidates what kind so, of strengths are we looking at here on okay so I, I i'll put this in in five areas okay so we look at the age factor mm. we look at how long the person or the two individuals have been in the party we look at the mpp tradition itself the tradition that believes in the downward dumbu buzia tradition we look at the southern northern tickets which has always been uh, within the mpp um, minds and we also look at the marketability or the electability of the two candidates let me break them down you look at the age factor mm -hmm. between dr balmia and alan chamati alan is, is old we all know that how long have they been in the party 
Alan has been there since. You know, we read his bio history. We tell so we tell a founder of the party since '92 and the rest. What about Dr. Baumia? We all got to know him in 2008 when he was chosen by then candidate Akufado to be the 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 running mate ahead of the 2008 election. He's been there since then till now as a sitting vice president. Let's go at the NPP tradition. They believe in the Dankwa Buzia Dumbo tradition. Now, there are many in the party who said that we've had two people who represent the Dankwa Buzia people. Now, you've had um, former President Kufu, who many people think is within the Buzia tradition. There's Daniel Kufu, the current president, who many also believe is from the Dankwa tradition. And now within the MPP, is only the vice president who many people believe has the gene of the Dumbo tradition. So, if the MPP is going by this tradition, it's obviously, or many people will think that it's the turn of the Dumbo person, which is the sitting vice president. But this issue has come up because the MPP in time past has not had any strong nobna who wants to leave the party. This is the only time the party is having an individual from the northern part of the country or from the Dumbo tradition. Not even Ali Mahama was considered strong. No, Ali Mahama wasn't considered strong. Within the MPP, he was seen to be an alien within the MPP, even though he was with Kufo in, 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 in 2000. So, but we represent the strong Dumbo people who believe that is their time. And you know, the MPP, there's, there's always two words within the MPP. Ufuri, where is he from? And we saw that, or by that, being told it, when did you come or when did you join us? So these two things run within the MPP. They are not just anecdotal, these are things that exist. It exists within the party. And I challenge anybody with the MPP who come and prove me wrong with these two things. It happens within the party. There are two things they ask you. These two things come in. So if you look at the tradition of the MPP and going by this Dankwa Buzia tradition, many people obviously say that fine. It's a turn of the Dumbo, which the Baumias represents. We also look at the southern northern tickets. Since 1979, when we had um, the MPP having this tradition from the UP, the PFP, and the rest, Victor Russo, who is considered to be um, a key member of the MPP tradition, selected uh, the taller now, Alagi Yakubu, in 1979 from the Northern Union to be his running mate. In 1992, Professor Albert Ebubwani selected Alaji Isifu Alasa as his running mate, and not now. Jay Kufo in 2000 selected Ali Muhama as his running mate. In 2008 till now, Nano Kufado selected Dr. Baumia as his running mate, also from the northern region. Now, for the MPP not to be seen as an account party, which is what almost everybody says the MPP is an account party, many people have said that. Why don't you fail a Nothna this time around? Change within the system by having a Nothna as the leader and then maybe a Sadna as a running mate. And maybe people do this comparison with the NDC. The NDC over the years have had serious <laughs> combinations and they've always worked out. In, two, in 1996, or let's start from 1992, the late president, Rollins, had Accra from the central region. He had 96 attorneys, the late as his running mate, and they won. In 2012, the NDC presented a North now with John Mahama, and brother Sadna as his running mate, and the party won. 
and within the MPP and its tradition from the 1970s, every first-time candidate has never won an election for the MPP since, 19, since the 70s. Victor Ousu attempted, he didn't win. Uh, in the 50s, um, Kibuzia attempted, he didn't win. J.B. Dankwa attempted, he didn't win. Albert Edi in 92, they didn't win. The first attempt, 96 Kufo, they didn't win. He only won in 2000. Then Kufa in 2008, they didn't win. For him there, he, it was 10 attempts before he won. So from history, the MPP has never won an election with their first-time candidate. And if the party is not careful and it decides to elect a new candidate, which obviously is going to happen, yeah. which is going to happen, <laughs> the party may lose election studying from history mm. guiding the MPP but as a not be born out of the strength of the ticket at the time maybe perhaps this could be the time that changes it and there are those who say that is what is unique about this particular group we have because they are very strong definitely so um, during this Christmas I had an opportunity to visit a few friends and in our chat this argument came of Baumia and it's a heated argument among friends. And as they were arguing, something hits me that has the MPP thought of pairing the two for the 2024 election, looking at the strength and weakness of the two candidates? Will the MPP want to change the deal? The racism we do before NDC start the racism proper in 2024? Ask myself this question. And I think it's very, very visible. And it's, it can be done. If only the party is committed in breaking the eight as they want to break. Now, the APP will have two separate breaking to do. Break the monopoly of Southern Modna. One. And breaking the eight. I believe praying Alan um, the Dr. Baumia and Alan Chamantin will be the best bet for the MPP. I stand to be corrected though, but from what I've seen and what I've read, it will be the best bet from the MPP. Alan is not a pushover. He's been there for God knows how long. He has supporters. Recently, there was media reports that his supporters are being victimized. He's not a pushover in this election. He's a strong candidate. The same as Dr. Baumia. They all have supporters. He's a vice president. He's a vice president. with advantage. They also have supporters. Now, while the MPP lost in the 2008 election, according to a report we put together after the election, that the voter apathy, especially within the Ashanti region, where we are told that over 500,000 people within the MPP in the Ashanti region did not vote. The MPP in 2008 only needed about 50,000 to win the election. And if there are 500,000 people refusing to vote, it's a major scare. And this happened because opponents of the seven of the 16 aspirants, Asana Kufado, felt they were being victimized after the primaries. Mm. And then Martin came out to say that his supporter, I believe that's why he, did, he resigned, even though they've denied this thing several times that he never resigned. It was clearly in his letter that his supporters had been victimized, hence his decision to leave the party. Now, if you are supporters of Alan and Baumia fighting among themselves, and maybe candidate or Alan wins or Baumia wins, you don't expect the supporters of Baumia or Alan to campaign for the MPP before, because they feel their own is out. And within every political party, there are factions. We can run away from that. Mm. There are people who believe that if my candidate win, I am better placed than another candidate winning within the same political party. So why don't we 
be it a win-win situation when we have the two of them reaching a compromise and one agreeing to partner the other. I have said that for this to happen, let's get the influential religious leaders, get Asatehine, former president, Gufo, the most respected personalities in Ghana, put the two people in a room and tell them, yes, that's what we want to be done. If the MPP really wants to break the aid, there should be an agreement who controls which parts of the government. And if that is done with the agree, they should do a joint preference. And I know publicly that, hey, this is the decision we've reached. Mm, interesting. And if this is done, I believe the MPP can do something. Problem. They solve, solve the problem. problem. And it will solve the internal fight okay. which is going to happen if we allow the two individuals to go. Okay. In Let me this I, 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 I will get to Mr. Dalqua in a bit, but uh, Dr. Sikalku, I'm sure you've heard Samir, and you've also heard um, the ongoings in the space as we've started the year. To your mind, does it look like these two are strapping their boots for a contest? Uh, thank you very much, Godfrey. Uh, thank you, Sami, and hi. So I, I think that that is um, not to think that is settled. And Sami has done a good job of telling us why that is incontestable. <coughs> that this is going to be the nature, the form, the architecture of the race for the MPP primaries. And even if, I mean, from all the body language, from all the primary events, testing the ground, um, in political science, they call it the surfing period. You are kind of testing the word surfing. I think that 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 is, is a settled thing, and the, the 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 competition is in full force, at least behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, in in politics, they say that the contest for the next election begins immediately day after the previous one ends. Yeah. I can tell you, in other jurisdictions where people were in secret meetings when the inauguration ceremony was going on, mm -hmm. preparing for the next event. So there is no contest or dispute or doubt, incontestable, that the, the event, the competition, is full, full force. Mm -hmm. You know, it will come to the fore, I think, when the calendar and all of that. So that is to, for your first, the first part of your question. Now, looking at the two candidates, you, you do well with analyzing how they speak, behavior, history what is your take <coughs> strengths and weaknesses that each brings since right. you are in no doubt that it is these two and then we can later in bring in the issue of the determination of a candidate is also molded by who the candidate is facing yeah. and you obviously are looking at for now John Dramani Mahama from the NDC potentially he could get contested as well but he looks quite strong right. in that space. Right. So, yes, definitely these two. But, you know, in politics, never say never. So, yeah. they are always the dark horses. You know, Joe Gatti, Adainimo, Bache Jakun. Mm. I mean, these are very serious about their candidates. Just, I mean, I, I went to Akosu, went a couple of places over the break outside Accra, and Joe Gatti's billboards are lined up all the way to the voter region. It's still really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw one at Jamestown. Thank yeah. you. So they are very serious about it. And you never say never. So anything can happen. So they could be the dark horses, the outsider in the race and all of that. And we'd like to see how it goes. And you never know, they could be kingmakers, they could be party spoilers and all of that because it's a, a delegates game. It's a numbers game. 
and some of them have been doing this. It's not about this year. I mean, we all know Boachie Jaco and his forays, you know, with the grassroots and the things he does, you know, with the party structures. So some of them will be in, maybe not for the kill, but to be able to make certain determinations. So I'm not going to make it totally conclusive, but we all know who the front runners are. So now that I've dealt with that, um, in terms of um, the pro cons or the advantages or the disadvantages that both bring to the table and how that is going to pan out against who they face, I mean, um, the, 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 I, I think the stakes are clear. Dr. Baumia is the incumbent vice president. There is no position that prefers you as well or as much for the presidency than the vice presidency. This is the second position in the land, and he has had the opportunity to act as president on several occasions. If you want to make the experience argument, I cannot imagine any more points that can be made to substantiate that than being VP. So already, that puts him on a certain pedestal, clearly. Secondly, when you are vice president, it raises your stature in a very considerable way. People want to see you act as president. People look at your candidates. They want to see you act as president, feel your leadership, see whether you meet the temper and what we call the presidential bar and your leadership skills and abilities. Through his VPship, he has been able to garner this. And that is the advantage that he brings to the table. We've seen him act as that. Thirdly, in addition to that experience um, argument, the thing is that Baumia has not just been a traditional vice president in the way that we know him. If you do research or you study the evolution of the vice presidency over the years, mm. we know what the vice president does. Even Ghana context, the traditional VP. Go to ceremonies, cut ribbons, give guest speeches, be in the background, don't overshadow the president. We know Colin Kessinaka. We've seen uh, President Mills when he was vice president. We've seen John Mahama. We've seen Elisa Arthur in that evolution. Baumia is not your traditional VP. He has revolutionized the VP ship. The president has given him a very free hand to operate. And during the campaign, we all know the kind of damage he did to the MPP, to the NDC. He was able to put that tag of incompetency on John Mahama. And even in governance, he has spearheaded some of the major policies of the government. So this is a vice president who has been hands-on, very activist, and has been able to win the hearts and minds of at least the MPP because they know that he goes out there and takes the fight to the NDC. He gives one speech and it dominates the whole week. And it's like people, a lot of commotion around the place. So that is the kind of stature that he has earned for himself within the party mm. and has been able to win their hearts. You know, look at, look at the things that are going on. The, the, the groups that have already given their support. Listen to the discourse that is coming from parliament, from the parliamentary leadership, from the chiefs, from certain groups in the party. And you can tell that he is the establishment candidate. There is a certain pool of force, a groundswell of support that is beginning to build up towards him as a candidate. You can't take that away from him. So that's, that's, that's it for Baumia. When you move from there, you come to the uh, communication. I think I've added that to the leadership because he has been one of the major prognosticators of the MPP as far as communication is concerned. You know, his speeches, his uh, what is it, um, talks and all of that. So he has that and he has grown over the years. The Baumia of 2008 is not the Baumia of today. Yeah. You know, he has changed in terms of his political skills, his campaign skills, his political communication, and he's earned the stripes for himself. And he is going to be a totally different character. I cannot wait to see the thing go into full force on the campaign stamp. So he has that. Now you come to economic. So this is a, the debatable part. 
He came in in 2016 with that economic tank as the economic messiah. He was able to rule people's mind, convince people that I am the deal in terms of the economy. What are we seeing in governance? This is going to be a double-edged sword. There are a lot of people who think that, hey, well, you told us all this, nothing has changed. We look at the, 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 what's the, the, the exchange rate the, uh, and all of that, and they're like, you know what? Well, we, have, we hear you, but we're still suffering. So it's going to be two ways. But you look at it again and you say, well, he's the head of economic management team. He's not, um, yes, he managed the economy, but there's a finance minister, and sometimes uh, the debates and the arguments go both ways. So that, that, that is yet to be settled. But at least in terms of the fact that we all know that the economy is the major deciding factor or a major thing that people consider in terms of a, the qualification and expertise is gathered. Now we look at ethnicity. He's from the northern part of the country. If he goes against John Mahama, the north is going to be heavily contested for. And it is not going to be something that will be just ceded to John Mahama, who had that in terms of the northern factor. Now we have a northerner on the ticket. And it's not just a, a, a northerner, it's a Muslim northerner. Um, John Mahama, Christian northerner. So and uh, you can trust that the religion factor will play a role. It's the first time we're going to have a Muslim on the ticket. The Northerners, they'll be really, really very much galvanized in terms of the support. But it's a two-way split because I know some people, too, who have sworn that no way, no how, in terms of the Christian community, they would allow that to happen. So that is a big thing that <laughs> we are going to see play out. And, and yeah, and then the goodwill I talked about. So I've talked about experience, communication, economy, ethnicity, religion, and all of that. So that is it for Baumia. You look at Chairman Tim, and at some point we'll, we'll talk about the negatives or whatever, but let's look at Chairman Tim. Now, Godfrey, 2024 election, one of the underlying contexts or factors that is going to shape the election is the idea of change. This is going to be a change election, not a choice election. Hmm. We are not going to, it's not a, a referendum on a previous government. After the eight years, change becomes such a heavy variable mm -hmm. in the decision making of the electorate. If the election, and it depends on the way the race is phrased, if the election ends up becoming a change election, which it is likely to be, because we've had an eight years and the test for change is going to be high, here comes Chairman Ting into the picture. Enter Chairman Ting, that is where he comes in. But how does that variable, how, how is that variable impacted by the potential candidature of John Romani Mahama? Yes, that's so. If you put a visa, we thank you very much. Now, John Dramani Mahama is a known quantity, a known factor in the election, but he's only had one term, he's been out of the presidency since 2016. Time is a very big factor. You know what they say about time? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And if you look at the conversation that goes on on Facebook over the past couple of months, people are pining. For the days of John Mahama. You know the people, the things they write. For the days of John Mahama. Oh, even Mahama was better. The media, So, the point is that time really changes a lot of things. Okay. And so, if it is going to be a change election, Chairman Ting is the one who at least can take the fight for them. Because, you know, Chairman Ting, the way he's fooled himself, it's not like a, a Kufra Dwight, a true and true Kufra Dwight. We know where he comes from, the Kufra camp. So the baggage or the tag of a Kufadu cannot be tagged as much to him. The one that will suffer or benefit from that tag is Baumia. So at least then we can make arguments of a first change. You don't tell me the government I was just told what to do, but I am my own man and I'll come. So they have that. So Chemin has that factor. So that's one for him. And in terms of likability, 
-hmm. No, she might think very smart, charming, intelligent, nice guy, very likable. You know, you see him, you saw him coming in 2008, uh, the Kufu guy, fresh, a lot of energy, had the youth, had the vim, had the resources, he got people around him. So, so Gahong Echemate uh, has that natural charm. As to whether he has been able, and for me, I don't think he has, as to whether he will be able to leverage, but well, let's see what happens. Leverage that likability or that charm to galvanize, mobilize a movement, grant support really behind him and make him an inevitable candidate. I am yet to see that within the party, within the party, or even so not something down for me. You, yes. you, you, you monitor right. the party. Well, roughly, so maybe you can. So let's see how that pans out. Yeah, so that in terms of likability, in terms of experience. All kind of experience, right? Uh, he's been in government since the Kufo days. He's been a minister. He's paid his dues. He's campaigned for both um, Kufo and Kufo. He's been on, the, on at least at some level. He's been on a campaign stamp. He's run primary elections since when 08 when you ran against yeah. 07. Thank you very much. You know, and all of that. So he has his own kind of experience, right? Um, and then the resources. Uh, uh, there's a reason why they call him Alan Cash. Maybe Sammy can explain to me. He's called Alan Cash. <laughs> yeah, no. And in politics, money is a deciding factor. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You need the resources. So, that, yeah, he's got that in his corner. The thing about Chimantin, though, and then, of course, the ethnicity, um, the northern, no, no, the Ashanti thing. Mm. You know, it's a big factor in the MP. I mean, like it or it's a big factor. So he has the Ashanti thing behind him. And I don't know if me, I, I was speaking to people, we do some of these exploratory, formative things. And I don't know the whole thing about whether a Notna, the Tenny, whatever, will come and lead the MPP and all of that, whether it will really be allowed that to happen. I don't know. So Chairman Ting, at least if you consider that, he has that too going for him. You know, so it's just that sometimes, you know, he seems a bit elitist. I don't think he has been able to impose himself into the political discourse or psyche of Ghanaians in a major way. He hardly, I don't see him giving a lot of talks, interviews, and all of that. So he seems a bit laid back, pulled back in that extent. I think we have done more in terms of that. So in terms of popularity, he's got a name recognition. But in terms of that pull factor, that gravity, stamping his authority, I think Baumia has done that more than him in terms of being that vocal. So we'll see how that goes. And he's not, he's definitely not an establishment candidate. He's the change candidate in terms of that. Yes. So I'll end here for now. Thank you. Musa, uh, I'll get you a, a bit, because you've done some work that I need to ask you questions <laughs> on. So, but I, I, I will come to some end. Uh, Dr. Sikanku raises uh, questions about the pros and cons of both parties, but looks at it from a national perspective. I, I want you to break it down for me at the delegate perspective because that is for now where it will matter. Uh, we don't know the makeup of the delegates yet because you are going for, for some of them we know, some we don't because mm -hmm. we are still building up to that based on the elections on the party calendar. I think February there's something happening, April there's something happening, June, July there's also something happening, if I'm not mistaken. So you can run us through that. But if you look at if you are weighing both within the delegate stock currently how are you looking at this okay so the the, the first part of the delegates uh, structure so the per the party's timetable they were supposed to have the election of um police station executives in january i mean this month but the parties are unable to do that so they pushed that to february okay so in february there will be the police station election 
in March, uh, the constituency uh, level election. In April, May, the regional election. Then June, July, the national election. So, so the, the first seven months of the year, yeah, we were dominated yeah, by NPP's internal. Yes, and, and after this, the new set of national leadership will draw the guidelines for the primaries for both the parliamentary and presidential, and then set a date for the two. That's how it's going to be done. So for the delegates, in, in each polling station, there are five people who are elected as executives in the police station. So there's a police station chairman, the secretary, organizer, youth organizer, and the um, youth organizer. So there are five. In the constituency, there are 17 executives, 10 elected, 7 appointed. Mm. That's done. The same as the national, the, the regional level, and then the national. So per the MPP delegates album now, there are over 150,000 delegates, as per the last primaries they held. Now there's a talk of an expansion. When the party went to Kumasi for the delegates conference, there was a proposal for an expansion of electoral to allow all card-bearing members of the party to vote. That wasn't done, but there's a belief that it could be done before the the mm -hmm. election for the presidential presidential primary so that's what they are looking at so but for now they are working with the hundred and fifty thousand if they allow all police all um cardboard members to vote we are looking at two three four million members of the mpp who will be uh, voting for who becomes the the presidential candidate of the party the second part of the question which uh um, doctor spoke about about the alarm factor and the likability uh, and the rest you, you can test the popularity of a candidate during party events. So when there's a party event and a, and a contender, you put it that we works in, and the name is mentioned, okay. and we hear the applause and the kind of shouts, and another name is mentioned, and you also consider those ones. You, even though it's not scientific, you're able you to get tell, a sense of, you get a sense of how popular this individual or is or not. But at the last um, conference in Kumasi last month, we didn't see that because Mr. Chemante didn't show up. So that's all scientific research could not could not that. Yeah, be true because we were about when you know the applause was there, all right. But you can't compare that to others because Mr. Chemante was there. But when you go to funerals and you get these two people also there, it also tells recently. Mr. Chomati was at the funeral of the, the, the chief of staff brother, which happened in Accra. I was at about so that when you got there and he was introduced, the applause was a bit loud. The vice president too was there, the applause was loud. So from where you sit, you were able to determine which one was louder and the other wasn't louder. But also depends on where you are. It also depends where you are. <laughs> <laughs> it also depends where you are. But within, within, within the, the, the parties or within the two, as I said earlier, Alan is not a pushover. He's been there for, for a number of years. Even though his, 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 his uh, percentage-wise, when it comes to internal election, has dwindled over the years. You remember the first time he contested uh, Manuel Kufado? Uh, that was in 2007. It was 30%. Mm -hmm. In 2010, it was 19%. In 2014, it was 4%. So over the years, it keeps coming down mm. because the candidate was then Akufado. Mm -hmm. But then there's the a, dynamic has changed. It has changed now. It's now Baumia. 
And many people have said that Bermia is riding on the gears of Akufado. That's what a lot of people have said within the MPP because when he will go or when he goes on a campaign, he is going to campaign based on the achievements of Nani Akufado and his because that, that's the pair. So for now, it will be very, how would I put it, difficult to tell if his um, support within the party compared to what he had with Nani Akufado will be the same when it comes to Dr. Baumia. But I've seen certain party executives openly declaring support for Dr. Baumia. The Deputy General Secretary, was on radio, public radio, publicly endorsing Dr. Baumia. I've seen other party supporters or party delegates also coming out publicly to declare their support for Dr. Baumia. Even though we too, maybe the other supporters, I was recently a communications officer in the northern part of the country publicly declared support for Allen and he was taken through the party discipline procedure. And these are what members of the Allen come back saying that oh, the victimization already started, even though the election is yet to be called. You know, so for now, it will be difficult to call in terms of the popularity right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Allen supporters are popular, but a bit quiet. quiet. But if, if anything is to go by, the, the reaction that greeted the post by Dr. Gideon Bwako, mm -hmm. is anything to go by, then the Allen supporters are also there. We, but we'll see <laughs> about that. Thank you very much, um, Samiri. I think you can send in your messages. Uh, 0549-986-996-0550-585832. Just trying to get ahead of what promises to be a busy first half of the year for the new patriotic party as they go about processes that will lead to a presidential primary in 2023. So from Samir's timetable, uh, February... Uh, polling station executives that following month uh, constituency after that regional executive elections and then national executive elections sometime in June yeah. um, if I'm not mistaken so June July, no. June, July. Uh, these are tentative dates yes, yes basically yes, yes. Uh, that is what they are working uh, with and already uh, it, it looks like nobody's willing to say it uh, but it's there. It looks like it's going to be a straight fight in that part between uh, Dr. Baumia and uh, Alan Chermatin. Now, uh, Musa Dankwa, Executive Director of Global Analytics, your organization decided to go a step further and run uh, a couple of uh, studies on what would happen if Alan Chermatin were a candidate, what would happen if Dr. Baumia were a candidate, against John Dramani Mahama. You you went out. What did you what were you trying to do? And what did you discover? I think before I respond to that, I want to make some few points uh, that my colleagues sure, sure. have okay. made. Um Godfrey, uh, is it uh, Samik said that in the history of MPP no first time candidate has ever won election in MPP. Um, that's a point that we're looking at. Obviously Alan and Baumia are the key contenders for the MPP primaries, forgot about that. Voter apathy is going to be a big issue in 2024. I'll take you from that angle from polling side. And also, the establishment candidate is certainly uh, Baumia, uh, which we know I'll tell you why. And also, ethnicity and religion will play biggest role in this election than ever before. Mm. Never have we seen an election that ethnicity and religion will play a crucial role. And we've done some of these studies already, okay. and we'll be doing them every quarter to see the trend over 
the coming months and years. Now, from what we've seen from data, within MPP, Maomi has the upper hand. Mm. What about that? Um, if you talk to people who are MPP sympathizers, they, they prefer um, Baumia to lead the party. And if you listen to what is happening along the uh, party machinery and the establishment, you see that they want Baumia to be the candidate. I'll tell you why, even from Dankwa Buzia Dombo tradition. <laughs> it is time for Dombo to be the flag bearer of the MPP. Regardless, because if you don't do that now, when you have a candidate like uh, um, Dr. Mahmoud Baumia, when again can you do that? <coughs> now, if you do it now again, that burden that you've never filled any candidate from the north goes away. So that burden goes away immediately he's elected. So it is the interest of the party establishment to ensure that this burden is eased. And we are seeing that from, the, from, from what we're doing that uh, he will be the candidate for MPP. But won't that be weighed against? Won't that burden be again weighed against? Now, I'll, I'll, contest. I'll, I'll come to that from <laughs> what we've done. Now, will that be the best for MPP for general election? The question is out there to be answered. Now, I'll also be mention of ethnicity. Mm -hmm. and religion being a key factor here. All these permutations depend on if John Mahama becomes a candidate. If he isn't the candidate, the dynamics changes dramatically. Mm. Now, it is in the interest of MPP for NDC not to elect John Mahama. That I can say that the fact. Mm. Because it's going to give them a very tough time. Now, from what we've seen from the data, we have, for the first time, we don't usually do that, put in our demographic analysis, ethnicity and religion. Yes. Because we knew this election would be a key election based on religion and, and, and ethnicity. If you look at John Mahama and Baumia, John Mahama is running on the ticket of NDC, and the NDC has traditionally won the Muslim block vote. It doesn't matter what candidate NDC puts on the ticket, the Muslim vote goes to NDC. That's a block. That has history to that. Now you would expect Baumia to chip away this vote from Mahama if he becomes the MPP's candidate. Have we seen that in the poll that we did? No. Really? Yes. That's interesting. Yes. You don't see him being able to chip away. No, from the fact we have seen so far, so far yes. John Mahama is winning over 76% of the Muslim vote. Okay. And 18% for, for Baumia. Now, when we pair Alan against Mahama, the Muslim vote barely changes. Alan wins 15% of the Muslim vote. So the religion factor 
doesn't favor either Annan or Baumia. The Muslim vote and block goes to NDC. All right. Now let's look at the Christian vote. That's where you find it very tricky. Traditionally, Akans are Christians. And Akans support MPP. Now, you have a candidate where, where a candidate is a Christian on the ticket of the NDC and being backed by majority of Muslims. Now, where do the Christians in MPP go? Even not talking about the data we've seen, people tell me that, oh, I'm more comfortable with my Christian brother. Yes, my own mother told me, my own mother told me that so there is a lot that Bahamian has to do to reach out to the Christian community or I mean to the Christian voters and so we've seen him moving from changes driven by that data he probably have seen some of the that he went to for <laughs> We are doing to seven churches. Yes. Uh, that seems to be doing a lot of outreach. Yeah, because his problem will come from these religious groups. Interesting. Now, voter apathy. Alan, the party must really be very careful as MPP is concerned. They should encourage and allow free contest, knowing that Baumia will win at the end of the day. There's no need for them to do the ad twisting. You are, you are quite clear in your mind. I'm very, I'm very clear. I'm, that, I'm very clear. Okay. I'm very clear. I mean, they should allow free contest so that after the contest, they can be healing, proper healing. Now, if some group are seen to be marginalized, then after the contest, when you need them to collect around the candidates, you find it difficult for them to do that. And because apathy will be an issue for MPP in 2024, you don't need a second layer of reason to give people the reason not to go to the polls. Now, if you elect Baumia as a flag bearer for MPP, I don't see anything changing much in the northern votes. But they are all on the same level of tickets. NDC and MPP, they are all having the first candidate being northerners. So you don't lose by letting A or B. Mm -hmm. The sadness. That's what the issue will be. It depends on how they handle this issue. Now, you could have a situation where the accounts could say that, and I'll be very frank, and for me, I'm known for saying my view very clearly. Ah, when it will happen. Two Lordness are fighting for this presidency. What have I got to gain? Me, somebody in. So we need to have the party machine being able to mobilize everybody because this will be a problem for MPP in 2024. And then if you are kind of malign anybody from these areas, it's going to be worse for you come 2024. So they should be very careful how they handle this Alan Baumia camp issue. They should really allow free contest. And I know the end Baumia will win the election. Yeah. But that will make it easier for you to reach out and do the healing. And do the healing. Musa, hold on for me. I need to take a quick break. And I'll come back to you to yes. continue yes. the rest. And then we'll hear from Eche and Sami on what they make of 
the 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 information you are putting out there uh, Musa Adankwa is executive director of Global Analytics. They carry out quarterly uh, studies on the political temperature. They've been focusing now on the press, uh, the MPP primaries and also the NDC. Uh, that's what we, he is looking at right now. The big issue will be right back. The big issue, uh, we're in the final phase of the program, just looking at uh, the permutations within the NPP as they... Uh, prepare for an intensive political year. Musa Dankwa, my good friend from Global Analytics, was just running us through some polls they've been running. So, Musa, you've dealt with ethnicity, you've dealt with religion. What other things have you dealt with? Party affiliations. Okay. Now, we looked at people's choices across party affiliations. This gives you an indication of which candidate would have a broader national appeal. Okay. Because as delegates, you must also reflect the thinking of the general voters. Because when it comes to elections, it, it, it won't be just MPP people. It will also be the wider voters. Mm. So we look at which candidate attracts support from other parties. You know, how, many, how much support does Baumia enjoy from other parties? How much support does Alan uh, enjoy from other parties? And uh, within your own party, what is your strength in your own party? And that is what the issue is. Um, and we can see that Alan uh, Baumet divide showing in the polls. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, among MPP supporters, Baumia has about 75% support. Okay. When you put uh, Baumia against Mahama. Now, a chunk of MPP supporters vote for, 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 for John Mahama in the contest between Baumia and Mahama. And then when you look at people who are voting for NDC, they are almost voting in block for their candidate. They are unified mm -hmm. behind their candidate. So in selecting a candidate, you must be very careful. Looking across, across board, which candidate really can get others to join us. Okay. And in that aspect, neither Baumia nor Alan is doing very well from the data we've seen so far. And I think this is coming from the burden they are carrying from the performance of the party generally. But maybe as election draws closer, that gap will close. But you must look beyond just party and see. And the delegates are not uh, from, from, from mass, they are among us. So if they, they are really to, to really vote from what they, they know and from what they experience locally, yeah. they will let that feed in the way they vote. Right. So party affiliation is very, very uh, uh, important here. Now, we have done some head-to-head. We'll ask a discussion. You have a head-to-head for me. Let me okay. deal with Ichi. Ichi, your thoughts so far on <laughs> the polling? Because you like polls. Ichi loves <laughs> polls. <laughs> Ichi loves his polls. Yes. So yes, yes, you yes. have a poll now. Yes, yes. <laughs> and what, what do you make of the findings right, right. of Musa's post. Yeah, thank you very much, Musa. Um, I, I, I just want to get the exactitude of the post. Are you saying, and please remind me, are you saying, I mean, what are the three major outcomes of the poll? Are you saying Mahama wins no matter if Chiamantin or Mahama, uh, Chiamantin or Baumia comes? That's, that what, that's, what, the, that's what I'm saying. So okay. Far, yes. okay. 
And then what, maybe what are other two major things coming out from that? The two major things that are coming out is the, 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 the religious vote. Okay. How people are voting by religion. Right. And how surprised we were that uh, Baumia's uh, religion did not have much influence on the Muslim uh, bloc. Okay. We expected right. him to do better than that, okay. but at the moment it's, 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 not, it's not showing. Right. And then also the third point is the level of uh, people in MPP who are voting for John Mahama compared to, you know, people right. who, are, who say they are MPP, right. yet they are voting for different candidates. Right. Regardless of, does that happen uh, if a particular candidate... No, the, the difference between when Alan is put on ticket, it improves, but not by much. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So, that's interesting. Um, I, just a little bit. So, what was the sampling and other things? Maybe that can help me. Okay, this is the, the what we call the, the, the first uh, lipstick pool that we did. Um, it is just give us an idea of what we should be looking at in our subsequent polls, which we'll be doing in the next week. Okay. We want a sample of about 2,500 samples next week, nationwide. Uh, we are repeating these questions again on, on, uh, with boot on the ground. Okay. What we did now was a, a snapshot from uh, various uh, online polls to oh. see. So it gives you the kind of uh, social media kind of demographic that we're looking at right now. So next week or two, we'll bring you a, a complete report of the boot on the ground okay. across the entire country okay. and what the numbers are. We'll be tracking these numbers every quarter okay. so we can see how it changes over time. Okay, so it's, it's, um, it's an online poll? Is this one an online poll? So it's not a representative? No, no, no. no. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let's go on. Yes, so uh, thanks, Godfrey. Now, um, I, I, it's very interesting. Um, I would have... Well, see, he says... Yeah, I think the first point that says that irrespective of who comes, Mahama wins. Well, we still have two years to go. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, to be fair to him, I do think that there is a certain sense of inevitability which is beginning to creep in that Mahama is the, the front runner at this time. You know, mm -hmm. well, let me not even say front runner, momentum. I take my word back, okay. not front runner. Yes, momentum. Yes, I prefer the word momentum. Okay, it's, it's safer to use that at this point. I don't want people to misquote me. <laughs> yes. Momentum. Please, uh, please, nobody should misquote me. Uh, has, 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 has the momentum at this time, right? Because of so many factors, some of which my very great friend has mentioned and Sami has mentioned. Um, the fact that, you know, in an eight-year election cycle, there's what we call the case of incumbency or the mm. eight-year case. So they start from a deficit. Because, hey, they've been there for eight years, all the arrows and whatever is going to throw, be thrown at them because their record is the one on the table. And of, of course, the historical idiot cycle, which I don't want to belabor it, they've said it. So that alone puts them on the back footing. So yes, if the results show that, yes, okay. So there's that creeping sense that it is, it is um, the momentum is there. I don't say it's his to lose, but the momentum is there because mm. something else can happen. So fine, maybe that's why. Then secondly, you talk about religion. Uh, that it doesn't really change much irrespective of which MPP candidate is there. That's a bit surprising, but... Um, why, why is it surprising for you? Uh, because you were expecting that um, Baumia being Muslim. a Muslim right, right. means he impacts and brings in more votes. Right, right. But not too surprising too because we can't both ways. Mm -hmm. Because of the, the, the little reluctance 
by the Christian community to fully swallow that pill that at the end of the day we're going to have a Muslim as the leader. But I think the NDP have identified this weakness, which is why you have somebody like Fred Owari, who is a significant personality in the charismatic or Pentecostal space, for instance, being brought in to lead some aspects of the Baumia train in right. that regard right so the question is we still have two years we'll see how that pans out mm. you know because there are some people and, and and he's right you can see it if you do the social media analysis i, I prefer to do the communication part you go to mohammed's uh, baumir's page and the communication you can tell the pictures the visuals and everything is pointing to the fact that there is a very serious outreach to the Christian community, to the extent that some Muslims are even complaining that why is he trying to convert or what? Because every time he's in church, you know, and all of that. What have you seen on Alan's <laughs> communication? You know, Must I let you? Yeah. So, um, I, is, is he visible socially? That is what I was going to. No, not that much. You know, so I cannot say a whole lot about that. I mean, when it comes to let's say national events. Constitution Day, Farmers Day, his birthday, you can let see me, an attempt. Let me, let me ask you this, and Sammy, you can also come in. Do Do you think? there's been or do you get a sense that there's been a deliberate public withdrawal of alan from well a withdrawal of alan from the public space because in the past year and a half mm -hmm. he's been very very hard to find yeah that's the Have problem you yeah you know remember i made that earlier and, and, and some you can talk about whether it makes sense to even do that yeah th that's like i said in position I, it's it's there and you can see the flyers go around you know alan shamatin wishes farmers uh, happy farmers day this and that it, it, it's there you can there are some people who are really alarm people pushing all of that it's, it's, it's visible I'm, I'm just saying that it's it's not as much as or as great as it could have been for a candidate at his a, position a potential candidate yes at this time i think that that we need to see a bit more of that well, he's still minister. They say if you want to come, come <laughs> you have to resign. Aha! Uh -huh. Maybe that will give him the free will yeah, to go. Do you he hasn't resigned. He hasn't resigned. So he's still kind of keeping it that way. So that supports that point. You know that I'm making. So, so the religion bit. I mean, yes, it's there, but we are yet to see how that will pan because there's a campaign in the next two years, um, and there are some. Don't don't. In as much as the the the, the ordinary Christian might find it hard to swallow. Don't. There, there are some Christian leaders who have embraced him as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, who have hugged and embraced Baumia and may try to be opinion leaders, the two-step flow of communication, opinion leaders, and then try to then convince their population, hey, everything is down, we've talked, we, we know him, we've talked to him, like, calm down, and all of that. So that, um, I do think there's still more time for us to see how that really that's impacts that. on that. Yeah, that's true. And then the last one is, uh, you said voter apathy. Um, uh, I, I think the voter apathy, I, I don't think that the NDC is energized uh, because they have a candidate, there's some bit of coalition around Mahama. Of course, we've seen noise about Dr. Dufour, we've heard about... You think uh, it will happen, Dufour? Yeah, he'll contest, I think. Oh, in terms of the contest, yes. whether he will win. Yeah, whether he contest Mahama. I think he's he's shown that he's yeah, serious yeah. about it. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. yes, I think he's taking too many serious steps to do that. If he doesn't, I will be surprised. But he's mm. done enough of this. But I think that the NDC is coalition around uh, John Mahama. So the enthusiasm and the momentum is there for them. It is the internal family fight in the MPP which is really going to determine whether they are going to go out united or there will be protest votes. And you know, MPP has suffered that. Look at the parliamentary elections. A lot of it was because of those protests. But I very, get very surprised 
when they try to do impositions, change rules just to make sure somebody is. But I get very surprised because it, it always boomerangs, yes, against them. I don't know why. They should just let the beauty of democracy is competition. And our democracy will grow more if we, it, it, the parties, when there's internal democracy, democracy in the parties, our democracy in, in our political parties, the democracy grows because the business of democracy revolves around the political parties. They don't allow the thing to flow and then minimize that more. Otherwise, it's going to really affect okay, them. So that also supports the point Musa made about the, the polling showing that there has to be a contest that is perceived as a fair contest. Yes. For this to work, Sammy. But so, so based on that, and um, a few things uh, Musa said about about the healing, it always been the problem of MPP in time past. There was a similar one in two thousand eight after the contest where seventeen aspirants, you know, you know, stick their neck out to replace um, then going uh, president Kufo. So there, there are people who are proposing that. You know the the period of electing a presidential candidate is too short a time to an election, so there should be um, an amendment to the constitution, which was one of the proposals. Now, those who are arguing for the extension say that the the one year to the election is too short a time because the candidate will have to you know burn bridges, try and um, sort of make peace with all the losing candidates. Um, people who are offended or disgruntled people must all come on board uh, before the, the election proper. You remember in 2008, after the contest, there was a committee set up by, set up by the party and chaired by the current chief of staff, Akusia Fremont Pai. That was a conflict resolution committee to look at um, disgruntled members and also to speak to them to support the candidature of Akufado to the election. And it looks like it didn't work out because of the voter party, which you mentioned, that is most likely is going to happen uh, this time around when the party goes to the poll. So you, you have people say that in order to avoid all this, stopping all this, pay the two candidates. That would be the best way for the MPP. Um, there, there, there have been other you know, research or survey aside from the zone. I had the opportunity to read one, uh, which is called the, the, uh, the Lignot survey, I stand correct, which also puts Alan Chomante ahead. What, what, how did they put it in my head? What okay, were the so, considerations? So they, they looked at okay. um, one, they looked at the strength and weakness mm. and the achievements of the two individuals. And they claimed that they spoke to other delegates. And they did this in March. Last they did this in March of last year. Okay. And that puts Alan Chemanti ahead slightly of Dr. Baumia in that particular research. That they did, but as time goes on, as Musa said, let me interject change. that. Now, when we look at the broader support, who would you want MPP to mm -hmm. bring as a candidate? Alan was about forty-four percent. Okay. Against Bahumia, around thirty-eight percent. Really? Yes. But when we dig down into, because the broader voters are not the ones who are going to elect like, the, mm -hmm. the, the, mm -hmm. the candidates, we then look at within the MPP who said they are MPP. What is the choice? That's where the choice is very stark. Okay. So within MPP, this broad support for Obama, but when you put him against the wider voter public, people prefer Alan to lead MPP. 
That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. And, 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 well. and I'm sure as time goes on, you see, you see a lot. Yeah, of yes. A lot of yeah, yes. And I'm not be surprised there will be another survey that puts that good minister ahead of all. And that is why we need to get. You know, I try to remember this is an online poll. So, yes. Oh, certainly. Yes, that's what I was trying to get at. Uh huh. So that at least, Godfrey, you can put that caveat there because we really need to interrogate the methodology. The sampling, how yes, representative it was. I mean, those are very important. important and that he has said is not representative yes. and all of that. So, I mean, this is not a show to get into mm -hmm. that. But I yes. think we need to at least uh, make that caveat. Yeah. Yeah. Very, 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 very important. And, and um, the, 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 you spoke about the visibility of the two candidates. Yes. And, uh, so, my, what, what I hear. Mm -hmm. What I hear, and I start to be corrected because, because, I mean, because outside of here, we work in the newsroom together. Yes, and then you it's very clear yes. that Alan has withdrawn from yes, so, the public space. So, there are public events, he will allow his deputies, either Bethy or, or Krapa, Krapa, to go and represent him at such, at such occasion. What I've heard is that he wants to gradually resign from the ministry mm. and then focus on the campaign proper. Mm. Because he believes that when he's outside, he has a better advantage of meeting delegates, campaigning here and there, and the like. That I've heard from, from his, his people or people very, very close. That's why um, in the public space, you, you see him not so visible like he used to at times. But when you go to his Facebook wall or his, socials, or his social media handles, he's very active. Every activity he embarks upon, they put it out there. For so people to know what he's doing, what he's embarking upon. So that's the reason why he's, he's more or less withdrawn publicly and gradually he will resign and take up the full campaign. And you know, the president has also given them uh, up to June of this year that you either resign if you want to contest the primaries or stay in and not contest at all. So they have up oh. to the end of June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? That's, that's, that is yeah. the caveat. Yeah. 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 yeah I I'm, I'm told yeah. he'll give that warning at a cabinet meeting. Yeah, that if, if you have plans of succeeding in letters by June, you should okay. get out of government. What, what, what about the vice president? <laughs> that is the difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> because the vice president was also elected by the president in some way, somehow. So I don't know if that caveat also extends to him. No, but what, 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 what I'm told is that possible. he gave that. I remember in, 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 in 2007, Kufo gave a similar, a similar warning yeah. to his aspirants. All of them was at the exception of Ali Muhammad. Well, the city vice president. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's repeating itself. itself. Yeah. yeah. So, so you never know. Maybe after um, Baumi, uh, Chimantin does all of that, we might. I mean, Godfrey talking about him withdrawing, we might see that. But he really needs to do that. You know, at some point, you have a feeling that um, um, Chimantin's time may have passed. You know, because he's been at this. Uh, for quite a long time without success. The supporters will disagree yeah, because yeah. they believe that in 2008, after Akufado won, there was a speech made by the president, then candidate, who said that he took over from Kufo. That, that, I think that speech is still there. And Alan would take over from him and his time will come. That's, the, that's what the supporters of Alan are pushing across. Yeah, I mean, I time. You know the MPB? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't expect that. Abu Fado was, you know, move it today. Right. 
and it got to his turn, yes. so yeah, or his time. So the other supporters also thought that right. yes, we'll do yes, so yes. it's now our time. Yeah, of course, I don't expect them to agree mm -hmm. with that because they, they need to go into the competition. They need to fight. I don't think it's automatic. No. Um, it, it is not. Um, it's, this is not a system where they just go by. So we got to compete uh, for it, and, and we need to see that full force competition going on, and then that strengthens our party structures, strengthens our democracy, and uh, we are all the better for it. Mm, okay, yeah, the best for me is to pair the two. That is what makes sense for you. It makes sense. Okay, it makes sense, mm. and the, it, it will avoid the heads and the bruises the party is likely to go through after the primaries in 2023. Okay. The best is to pair the two of them. Okay, MPP should change with you before the change proper comes. Yeah, and I think there was an MP who even tweeted that. They are not going to pair the change Yeah, he tweeted that. He tweeted about it. Yeah. That is a heavenly, a heavenly pairing. Right, right. So, so that, that, Alan, and he left it like that. Yeah, so that conversation has also begun. Has already started. Yeah. So at the point, I was going to say that maybe that gradual withdrawal was uh, also a tactic, you know, in anticipation of something like that. Of, that, of, a, of a potential approach. Yes, because that conversation yes, is, is beginning to seep in. But let's see. Um, okay. Time, time it, it depends on what those who uh, are in the camps say, because there are those who hold influence Definitely. with these two persons. Uh, a couple of messages have come to... So, uh, oh, fa I, 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 Today you have to forgive me. Franklin Kujo, I, I asked after you earlier on, and I did not hear from you, so I assumed you had left. But apparently Franklin Kujo is still on. Franklin Kujo, how are you? Happy New Year. Franklin? Okay, so Franklin is still not available. But um, Justice Akofo says Dr. Sikanku is making sense. This presidential primary will be dicey. Let's see how it goes uh, jolly dean says i i can't hold back my praise for the show today glad you're enjoying it i'm lost for the appropriate words of praise it's been a fair and objective analysis that has been done and i'll try and get through uh, a couple more of messages that have come through from whatsapp you can send your 0549986996 and 0550585832 um a few uh, this one says uh, hi got fed the economic management uh, headed by dr baumia uh, has failed now called the office of dr baumia failed baumia uh, um well Kuma, this one says perusha from western north is basically saying all the things they failed uh, chairman blue from kaswa says uh, the mpp should focus on f and fix the country and stop that like a desical politicking Ghana deserves better uh what the NPP, good morning, Godfrey, what the NPP needs at this crucial moment is a unifier to enable us to break the eight. Let's close our ranks. Suleiman Adamba, from, uh, he's a secretary of the Big Six in Tamale. Um, AU Farouk Tamale says, good morning. Yes, race for leadership of the NPP. Uh, the NDC is ready to face any candidates, but the NPP must choose a candidate who has credibility. The, uh, this one says, the NPP may be wasting their time of breaking the eight. The government has, the governance has not been the best this is Kweku from La Paz. Uh, this one says if Baumia is not made flag bearer, uh, the gains made in the north could be lost. Uh, for MPP to make a great impact in 2024, uh, Dr. Baumia is the best bet that they have. Um, I suggest Alan serve as running mate to Baumia. This is Edward Afeli of Ashali Boche Old Town. 
time. Good morning to you all. I personally like your discussion about Ireland and Baumia. For reality, Baumia should be the right candidate for the MPP, consider the traditional MPP rules and regulations govern the party. Uh, this is coming from uh, Dabri Daudayagaba district in Northeast region. Uh, good morning, City TV. I'm enjoying the analysis from your guest. The MPP can even bring an angel. They will still lose. The system is very different now. Um, the MPP has managed to make Mahama look like an angel. This is Sedem uh, Kweku from Anya. Uh, Nabia Ayumbeo John from the Upper East says this MPP presidential primary is going to be a litmus test for the MPP as a political party. This was people of the view that the party is an Akan party, and for that matter, presenting an Akan will totally destroy the party grassroots at the northern part of the country. So these are some of the messages that have come to you. Thank you very much for spending time with us. First episode of The Big Issue. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much to Musa Dankwa, Executive Director of Global Analytics. Uh, you'll be hearing from him a lot more as we build up to the election season. Samiri Afri, Presidential Correspondent, Senior Reporter at City TV and City FM, and Dr. H. Sikanku, Political Communication Analyst and Lecturer at the Ghana Institute of, Journalist, uh, of Journalism. Sorry, And uh, Franklin Kujo, who uh, watched us uh, via Zoom. Apologies, Franklin. Uh, we'll have you next week, as always, uh, to have your bite. It would have been awesome to have Franklin, uh, our senior most panelist, uh, say something in the new year, but he will have a stake uh, from next week. So I hope you have a good weekend. My name is Godfrey Dakotobuafo.